Okay, well, let's write down how the other sounds on a piece of paper and both flip them over at the same time. <laughs> well, you sound terrific, like a millennial podcaster. That's what I had on yours. That's what I had for you. All right, we're good. Everyone wow. Good. All right, perfect. Nailed it. So here we are 20 years later, 20 years after we integrated D-Trace in... Uh, it's amazing. Because you know what's amazing? Because you know, I, I got married shortly after we integrated, Adam. Yes, that married. is amazing. It is. Okay, wait a minute. That wasn't. I, I don't think that's actually where I was. You going know what? I, what I remember. What I remember is that I actually managed to like actually mate and. He's been, hold, he's been holding it in for twenty years. To be fair, exactly. you, you know, I, I think you had you had both of these deadlines looming. Both involved a bunch of work. I remember someone at the time kind of commenting on it, and you saying that the detrace deadline was much more stressful. I think sort of because. The, the, like the wedding was going to happen one way or the other. Like it didn't matter what kind of shambles it was. Like if, if everyone was getting takeout hardies at our, or the Australian equivalent for dinner, like it was going to happen as opposed to DJs integrating. Like it was only going to happen if it was done. First of all, I believe the Australian equivalent would be hungry jacks. Josh, <laughs> correct me if I'm wrong. <laughs> now, now look. <laughs> Hungry Hungry Jacks is was a spinoff of Burger King. Is oh, spinoff yes. the right word? Well, is that the word you're looking for? There was a franchise licensing thing that happened because eventually, like decades later, the Burger King people showed up and started trading under their own name, and I feel like that uh, caused. Did some... Hungry Jacks go away? I don't know that it went away, but it may have actually by now. Like they may have figured out how to fix all that up. But for for a long time, it was Hungry Jacks, certainly. And for an American in Australia, you're like, does is Burger King aware of Hungry Jacks? This is this looks like <laughs> no. They definitely they definitely were because that was it was the the home it was our home of uh, what you would call the Whopper. I believe we also called it the Whopper. Yeah, what did you call it? I think you called it the. Whopper I think it too. was the Whopper. I think I don't think there was anything substantially different about the menu. I think the Whopper is actually, I think the Whopper feels like a, it's almost a name that, that, that Australia would come up with. I think you'd be very proud of the Whopper. No, we'd Good call name. it the, we'd call it the Whopper. <laughs> Whopper. That's the, right, exactly. Yeah, be less, less roger cars in, in the. Fair yeah. enough. So yeah, I, Adam, I thought it was going to be all Hungry Jacks at the wedding. Fine. Who cares? The meanwhile, Detroit's not integrating. <laughs> would be a real problem. So you're <laughs> saying I, one, one of these projects was, was date driven. We the, the, Pretty much. Uh, did I verbalize this relative anxiety? around Bridget? I can't remember if this was No, but like around a lot of colleagues. And I think actually one of your one of your helpful colleagues, not me, did mention this to Bridget and she was like, absolutely, like date driven. The other one was quality driven. Look what I've ended up with. <laughs> you know, I like to say we've been married for twenty years in October. So it's we we're we're doing all right. We're doing all right. D yeah, exactly. Detroit and the marriage are both doing well actually. Pretty amazing. Uh so, I mean, it is amazing that it was 20 years ago because it still feels so recent. And I feel it's like we're really lucky to have software. I mean, how many people get to have 20 years of experience with their own software and get to like look back and, you know, what did we do right? What did we do wrong? You know, what were some of the things we regretted? I don't know how many of those there are, but there are a lot of things we got right, actually. It was, it yeah. was fun. Yeah. And, and remarkable to literally still be using it and, and privileged to see it living on in systems that we didn't build. You know, every time I fired up on my Mac, I feel very grateful that that has continued 
uh, in their, you know, mostly true to the principles fork of it. <laughs> and it's been great. And you feel slightly less gratitude every time you have to go into SIP or whatever to go. Uh, <laughs> well, to go there is that. They're like, oh, good, a new update. Oh, like a new problem. Oh, I have to do the SIP dance to be able to use this thing again. There I is that. I am grateful. I am grateful. I am grateful. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. For those not familiar, Apple has Dtrace and has had Dtrace, and we'll, we'll get into that. But uh, it is locked down in ways where you have to break a bunch of warranty voiding, you know, glass in order to get your way there, but it's not so bad. It's not so bad. And it is, uh, and we are, I think we feel very lucky to have a technology that people uh, are willing to root their Macs to use. Yeah. Uh, it's, <laughs> That's it's, right. It's terrific. So um, how did that, I think we wanted to uh, reminisce a bit about yes. some of those early days. Uh, for sure. And especially with like the things that kind of benefit from 20 years of hindsight uh, of um, because there is a lot. I mean, there, it's actually we, we have had to extend it. Uh, we've had to rewrite remarkably little of it. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Josh, yeah, you say beetroot in the, in the chat. Is that a reference <laughs> to that's not a reference to beetroot? No, never mind. I'm, I, no, I was we were, we're still on Hungry Jacks. <laughs> okay, so I actually okay. This is where my brain went. The because Bridget and I met online. This was, but it was. And I now know that this is how everyone meets. But this is, uh, and uh, in order to, uh, to, this was at a time when you couldn't see other profiles. Like you could only see, you know, if you were a man seeking a woman, you could only see women, not men. So I wanted to scope out the competition. So I created a a fake profile. Did I tell you this, Adam? Yes. Oh, I did tell you this. The, the on one of the lab machines named Beak, and I had <laughs> the 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 account that I created. I'm sorry that you do this. I, this has really got nothing to do with the trace, but it's right. It has a lot to do with getting married. So I'm sorry. We're just gonna we'll be here quickly. Then I'll get back in the car. The uh, so I created this account. I used the root account on Beak. I named this profile Beak Root. It was very important to me that it get no interest from because this is a, I'm going to I'm going to create a basically a, a fake woman. To, to see what my own competition was. And I, I wanted to be sure that, that this got no actual interest. So I wanted to create the, and I, I, you don't actually, I didn't have to upload a profile photo. I basically didn't answer the survey questions or the questions I answered with like the just minimal amount of detail. I did have to put a height and a weight in there, which was a nine site. Like, turns out it doesn't need any more than that to get an overwhelming amount of interest is what I learned. Uh, but I, I did need to put a tagline in there. I, I, you, it won't let you continue without an actual, like, you know, this little, like, one-sentence synopsis. And Adam, do you remember this? I remember, do you remember? No, no. So this was at the height of the dot-com boom. So I wanted to, again, make this revolting to anyone, to any would-be suitors. So my, my tagline was uberhip.comer seeks pre-IPO bow. And <laughs> I, I mean, of course, like it all makes sense now. Like I got buried that, in interest. Like that could, <laughs> I got, I got so that, that thing got so much more interest than the actual like real me. It was a little bit like, okay, all right, well. And so I had people who were pouring their hearts out to this thing that the only, and they're explaining like what their vesting schedule was. And they're just like, oh, oh my God. God. 
Oh my God, this is so embarrassing. Anyway, so yeah, um, sorry. I, when you said beetroot, I thought you were making a beetroot reference, Josh. I've, I, I, but, Josh, I'm, I'm sorry if I burned you with this oversharing detail. Actually, don't think I've heard that story before. So that's you don't have to use the word actually. Actually, <laughs> <laughs> there we go. There's one. Um, Brian, in terms of where we start on DTrace, not to distract you, um, but I'm not sure you've. Sh- I, I don't know how broadly you've shared this, but I've always found it interesting, like where the idea from DTrace came from, because that was well before your time at Sun. As I recall, like this is these some of these early ideas were from when you were an undergraduate. Yeah, that's right. Well, I wanted in particular, I had, and actually it's funny because I was just seeing someone on Hacker News experimenting with what you can do just with LD preload and mm-hmm. how you can like load your own shared object and you can interpose on an arbitrary shared object. And I wrote this little goober called, that I called SIFT that allowed me to basically do what, what shared object interposition now does and SOTRUS. Remember SOTRUS? Mm-hmm. Uh, um, and it was just shining a bright light onto like, oh my God, this is what the software is doing. And I just felt like there were, you know, I I was working on the, uh, trying to make sense of the M to N scheduling model. And it, what I realized is just like what the software was actually doing and what people thought it was doing were two very different things. And I'm like, why don't we have a better way of figuring out what the software is doing? The only way of figuring out what the software is doing is like putting a breakpoint in the debugger. Like, why do we do it that way? And why don't we, I just don't understand. I didn't understand why we don't dynamically instrument program text to when, when we want to understand what it's doing. And then once we understand what it's doing, I'd uninstrument it and put it back basically. And which doesn't feel like super deep thought, but the, I, I did, I did ask our OS professor um, at university about this. And he's like, yeah, you know, I don't know. I think it's like, I think there must be some reason that can't be done because <laughs> if, if, this is like kind of important he's like this is like a reasonable thing i didn't even question this at all it's like if there were if you could do this they would have done it by now and i thought the same thing i'm like i think you're right Uh, yeah there must be some reason that this is like impossible instrument program text and when i was interviewing at sun and i had um was talking to jeff bonwick and bart smalders and I remember going to lunch with everybody and I was coming back from lunch and kind of like, hey, there's this question for me to ask you, you know, why don't you do it this way? Why don't you allow program text either in kernel or in user land to be dynamically instrumented? And and I Bonnock is like, yeah, no, there's no good reason. Like, you should do that. We should do that. I'm like, oh, really? I just was not, I, <laughs> I was, I was so oriented to getting an explanation about why this was impossible. And the, there was this moment where he was like, you should come here and do that. Like, yeah, you should come here and do that. That sounds great. And I try to remember that moment when dealing with anyone early in their career, asking why something isn't done some way, because it, it felt like so uplifting and empowering to be like, oh, I'm going to come here and do this. And I'm, that sounds great. And what I didn't realize was, well, you are, but there's a lot of actually like junk you're going to have to deal with first. I just felt like, so I... From coming to Sun, I had an idea of like this is what I I where I want to kind of orient myself towards, but there was just a lot that had to be done in the interim, and yeah. there was a a lot that was just so that was in 1996, and right. we didn't start DTrace until 2001. Well, you started in earnest, but you were putting down a lot of foundation, as I recall. That is, like, you know, in particular so, CTF. Yeah. 
Um, yeah. But like also, you know, getting a lot of miles on the tires in terms of your experience with Solaris and debugging uh, really complex performance problems. Yeah, that is true. And so a couple of things were that happened that were important. So one, um, we uh, had some really crushing performance issues, especially on these big systems, the E10Ks. And the only Jeff had done this really interesting tool in Solaris 2.6 called Lockstat. And uh, Lockstat allowed us to... Lockstat actually did use dynamic text instrumentation of just the synchronization primitives and allowed us to understand what the synchronization... Where we, in particular, when we were blocking why, where, for how long. And Just to pause, Lockstat is... So fucking cool. And especially before we had built D-Trace, when you start looking at the locking primitives and see that these handwritten assembly routines were built in such a way that anticipated this kind of dynamic instrumentation that you're referring to. They were built in a way where they say, replace this instruction with this other instruction, and then it'll fall through into this Xanadu of data collection. Yeah, and then that's right. and, return yeah, and the system think, back to fully functional, or pardon me, fully, fully, uh, full speed, not fully functional. It was always fully functional, but rather to optimize performance. That's right. And I and Jeff had actually done that. So when the synchronization programs were originally written, that was not the case. And Jeff had rewritten them in two six as part of doing the lockstat work, if memory serves. So that's why mm-hmm. it looks like it was always designed with instrumentation in mind because it was rewritten with instrumentation. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Of course. Um, and, and then that what ended up being really, really important because it was our only way of understanding what was going on inside the kernel. And we had, uh, but it was really limited visibility. I mean, it was, you can only instrument this kind of like one very important, but kind of thin layer of the system, namely the synchronization primitives. And you would immediately have follow-up questions that you couldn't answer or couldn't answer easily. And so we, and there was, in particular, there was, and I remember this very vividly because it was my birthday, uh, 1997, dealing with this very large E10K system, benchmarking system, that uh, I hadn't really even seen an E10K. We didn't have one in software. It was way too valuable to give one to the software. So we, uh, this was an E10K that was running a gigantic SAP benchmark uh, that General Motors was interested in. And it required actually four other E10Ks to feed it, which was... Yeah, huge. And it took, uh, this machine took like two and a half hours to boot. And we knew that the system would enter prolonged states of deep, deep sadness. Uh, and uh, we did not know why. And all the only tool we really had was Lockstat. And you, so you could see during the periods of sadness that like we were in the networking stack. And I was writing modules. I was, I was basically doing handwritten unsafe dtrace i was basically writing custom kernel modules and loading them and and then like effectively hot patching the system to jump into them um and it mostly worked but occasionally didn't and the system would panic and then i would like go have two and a half hours to reflect on on what a bad (laughs) idea yeah it was bad nice and the and through that the whole time I was thinking like, this is a networking issue. And that wasn't totally wrong in that we were ultimately like, we, we were super sad because we were like order of N cubed in, in the networking stack. But like, why were we there? And why was it so transient? Well, as it turns out, the reason it, what was actually happening is that the system had been misconfigured 
and it had been misconfigured to act as a router. And I, I the, forgot this. This is hilarious. <laughs> and there was a router elsewhere in the lab that was popping occasionally. And that thing would pop and the E10K would be like, you, I am actually the world's worst router. If I'd like, to, <laughs> if you would like to, while wow, this other lab routers, like, I, I can, <laughs> I, I, I like. Do you want a DHCP lease? I can. I can handle. I don't think. I don't think I'm too busy. It's like no, no. no. It's like, are, are you, you busy with anything? Be, Any benchmarks you should be doing right now? Right. Don't you have an? If you think really hard, like, don't you remember the SAP workload I just gave you? It's like, oh, that is ringing a bell. Maybe. You know what? I'm going to furiously route these packets in this terrible order of n cubed algorithm, and <laughs> uh, and then so which also explained why it would suddenly write itself, and it, then it would be and. I remember that moment was like very eye-opening for me about the idea that these things deep in the stack could actually be manifestations of very high-level issues where you know you a system has been you know misconfigured or misadministered or there's an application running that's a surprise. And the only way we kind of get to it is with these super deep symptoms. I mean, that, that, Adam, this is what I, I keep trying to get traction on the on, on Leventhal's conundrum. That's right. The the butterfly flapping its wings that you need to find that has caused the hurricane. That has caused the hurricane. You have the hurricane. You need to find the butterfly, and uh, it's which is still really hard. I mean, really, yeah. really hard. And but I think that whole uh, that became very eye opening. Of like, we absolutely have to do this. And then the foundation that you're referring to was. So I uh, I had well, gone. well hold on before before you got yeah. before you take the next step so that's 1997 which is before I got the sun now by the time I got the sun 2001 Dtrace uh, I think you and Mike Mike Shapiro who who, who worked with us on Dtrace also you guys had a notebook like a a Dtrace notebook yeah and did, when yeah. I got the sun Dtrace had this sort of vaporware totally like. Right. Like, you know, you guys would wander into problems, and I don't know if this is actually true, but seemingly, and say, well, you know, D-Trace would solve that. And you had done that enough where people were like, all right, well, could you please just build it rather than telling me that you would, the thing you have not built would solve my problem? That's right. It was, it had a, a Duke Nukem Forever kind of vibe, <laughs> or is it Halo 3? Am I using that right, Josh? Is that right? No. I... <laughs> The, do, you, do you mean Half-Life Three? Half-Life Three. Oh my Look, god! Look, I'm only. I, I'm. I'm sorry. I'm. I'm not a gamer. I right, so, all that fumbling is going to look great in post. We'll clean that all the way up <laughs> here on Discord. Right sure. here on Discord. Okay. Look, uh, Half-Life Three. Right. I knew it was one of those things that the kids talk about. The. Uh, it had these kind of vibes of like the thing that is always coming that is that you actually want right now, but does not actually. Uh, does not actually exist, and you are being told that it will be. It, don't worry, uh, uh, penicillin will solve this. Like, well, what are the penicillins? Like, well, we haven't really started on it. It's like, okay, well, yeah. And I did, I, Adam. You can, I'm sure, visualize this because I caught Tim Marsland, a former colleague, um, a, who very distinguished uh, accent, English guy, and uh, Tim was uh, trying to debug a problem, and I that had been really painful for him. And I did cheerfully volunteer. I'm like, you know, Detroit solves that problem. And he was so pissed off. He's like, Detroit solves that problem. Why don't you go start getting Detroit? Like, okay, right. Maybe we need to stop talking about the problems it's going to solve. And maybe That's right. Enough with the hype, right? <laughs> Enough with the hype. And I did think that, like, I I, I think that, um, it, it, you know, th this is also kind of an, another interesting object lesson about the way we structured 
the early approach. First of all, we knew that we wanted to get the D-Trace. And I think the thing that you're referring to that, that was exceptional was that Mike had figured out a bunch of the foundational stuff that was going to be required and that I like, I didn't really fully appreciate the importance of CTF or D-Trace when, which is our ability to get type information in the kernel. And Mike felt very strongly and just, justifiably so that that type information should be available in the kernel itself, that you should not need to get some auxiliary file that contains the type information, that the, the system itself should have its own type information. And we needed that for MDB, but Mike also saw the need for it for Dtrace, which I really did not appreciate at the time, honestly. And he had mm-hmm. there were other things like this where he had and I, he had a, a terrific kind of connected graph of all the things that were going to be required to get us to the point where we can even earnestly start on Dtrace. And so we did a bunch of that work in that in the kind of 98, 99 time frame. Uh, which and I think is, is the, this is like Solaris 8, Solaris 9. Solaris kinda. 8, Solaris 9. Yeah. Yeah. And but looking really for an opportunity to to actually really start on Dtrace. And I and I think that a lot of engineers feel this way, that especially when you become valuable to an organization, you feel like you're constantly being kind of caught caught up in the next crisis and it can be hard to get out from underneath that crisis disposition and you and i got caught up i got caught up in a crisis and as i recall i dragged you under with me um the the cheetah plus uh um so uh cheetah was a a microprocessor a very cruelly named microprocessor at sun because the thing was not fast had a lot of problems it was hot it was late uh it was slow it was expensive (laughs) It had me. I mean, other than that, um, that, it had a lot of problems. Ultraspark three, and in particular, they had made a really grievous error um, where they had taken. So, the, uh, recall the TLB issue with Cheetah Plus or with Cheetah. Um, so they, uh, Ultraspark two, Blackbird, and so on, had a fully set associative sixty four entry TLB, and. Uh, and then some number of those pages will be locked, but fully set associative for all pages. And what they had done is taken uh, a bunch of instruction level traces from Sybase running on Solaris 2.4. Now the year 2.4 comes out in like 94, maybe 93. And now it is 2000 or it's 2000, 2001. It's early 2001. Right. And so this is like a race that is like eight years old and but it shows you how long these the, the when they made this decision it was arguably only like four or five years old but the decision they made was the operating system isn't using large pages so we should have a large tlb for small pages and a very small tlb for large pages and the problem was we hadn't implemented large page support yet and we th- that support was implemented in the operating system after Solaris 2.4 so what the data that they gathered was all basically wrong and was real. I mean, it's, it, it, this is one of these things where it's like it, being more data intensive was actually the wrong thing to do. And they, mm-hmm. what they should have done is like realize, like, no, of course we are going to add large page support in the operating system. And of course you should support large pages from a larger TL, from a large TLB. But what they did is they moved to a 16 entry fully set associative TLB for large pages which is down from 64 and then a bunch of those ended up being locked. So instead of, so you end up with like five of those being locked. So you end up with like this nine entry TLB for large pages, small pages. Meanwhile, live out of a 512 entry TLB 
but only two-way set associative, which is also just death. So when your set associativity gets that, so I don't know, Adam, do you remember these workloads? Because this is on both the instruction side and the data side. So you yeah, have to be thrashing, right? And, oh. and you'd be thrashing from compilation to comp compilation, depending on how the compiler <laughs> laid out your code. That's right. That's right. So you could easily, easily, easily have a uh, just a workload that is hitting like uh, instruction, going through a plit and into a shared object. Like that's three different bodies of text you're going to execute in a pretty hot loop. And it's like, yeah, you get unlucky. And those are in, those map to the same set. And like literally a shared object. By the time you got up there, you like evicted the uh, your program text that called it. And it was bad. You're like, why? Yeah. I'm like, every once in a while when I compile this thing, it's 55x slower. <laughs> oh, God. And so I was, I was very much called into deal with that, which is like really super tough because it's like, well, we've, we've made a bunch of decisions already and it was a big mess. But I, part of my, my condition of that was like, I'm going to do this, but then I really need to have to be given time. I need, I need six months to focus on Detroit. And so I, I've kind of been talking about this enough and I'm going to kind of go into like this one last firefight, this one last crisis. But in exchange for that, I need six months of focus on Detroit. And I wanted Mike and me to be able to focus on nothing but Detroit for six months. And I have this, I have this plan for a fire engine. That's for right. Next time, for next five, five. Exactly. I want to build a fire engine. I would like to. Well, and I, I think a, the it, um, and. Uh, and Matt Aaron's in the chat is pointing out that that uh, yes, the TLB misses if they missed in the what's called the TSB, they would trap into the operating system. Yeah, there's no hardware page table walk, and it was a big mess. It was really really bad. And I mean, this is like we are. This is part of the reason why we Spark was losing the plot to x86. But so the I finally got the and kind of the 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 I, I wanted to get this thing called trap stat um, integrated into the system, which allowed us actually uh, kind of on point. Uh, Trapstat allowed us to actually uh, it would instrument the trap table so we could actually say how much time we were spending in the TLB mishandler. And what we discovered is, Matt, I don't know if you remember like the lint pass 2 uh, we, we learned that lint pass 2, which took forever when you're running on the kernel, was basically spending 60% of its time, which basically meant all of its time uh, filling the TLB. Um, because the resonance set was just larger than the reach of the TLB. And we were just abs and it's basically random. And we were just absolutely thrashing on on past two, which was definitely it would I mean eye-opening in terms of, of how brutal that could be. But once traps that integrated, um, then I was like, okay, I finally have I can go focus on Detroit, which happened sometime in the fall of of 2001. I I want to say in November of 2001 is when we really got to start focusing on it. And got to focus exclusively on it. Um, yep. and, and Slayer's 10 had just shipped. And, or, excuse me, Slayer's 9 had just shipped. Nine had just shipped. Yep. And, and I don't know if this is too far, but I felt like Slayer's 9 was kind of the completeness of the SVR5, like, or the, the Slayer's 2.0 multi threaded, multi core, multi processor vision. That is to say, yeah, all of it. the loose yep. ends were sort of tied off, everything sort of made sense. There were no awful, like obvious glaring omissions or places where two things didn't intersect appropriately. Um, and, and that's, I would also say that's, that's why it wasn't just Dtrace that got started then. It was ZFS. We got Matt Aarons here in the chat and Zones and some other projects 
that SMF. all were building SMF. There you go. And building on that foundation, which was now, you know, not as rickety as it had been. That's right. Yeah. I mean, I think we, everyone felt like I can go off and it wasn't really planned for everyone to do this at the same time, but it, in hindsight, it did kind of happen for the same, there was a, a shared reason underneath all of them, which was, okay, this system works well enough and, and it, the abstractions now work and now we can actually, maybe we can think about new abstractions. And yeah, that's, that is Matt and Jeff on CFS, a Pacific, um, that is on, that's Fire Engine, that is FMA, that is SMF, and that is Dtrace. Um, and Dtrace, I think, was probably the first one because it had been a chip on my shoulder for probably, I mean, I think I, I want to say that Dtrace was, was kind of the first one in the shoot. I mean, Matt, maybe maybe Pacific was starting, I, I guess Pacific was starting at basically the same time. But, um, and and so did you get to, so you got to put your head down and actually the, you know, the organization didn't bug you too much for six months. That's right. It did definitely. And, and, you know, I, in hindsight, like either the organization did a good job of not bothering me, or I did a very good job of ignoring the 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 organization. I'm not actually sure <laughs> um, but definitely got. I mean, it really did focus during that period of time. Um, and I actually think that you know this is also when, as as I've kind of been thinking back on that period of time, this is the first time that I was really working from home. I think, and the um. I, that we had kind of all started to work from home, you know, and because uh, I had not been working from home through 96, 97, 98, 99. It was really only in 2000, 2001 that I started working from home. And that, that really did afford like new levels of focus. I think that people um, forget that the, you know, if you really need to go, all this kind of return to the office nonsense, people do forget that like, boy, when you are working, when you know what you need to go solve, being being able to really put your heads down, head down, and have zero uh, distraction by working from home is really powerful. Um, and I guess it was like a sweet spot, right? Because it's like working from home before like Slack and TMs and text <laughs> messages, and like, yeah, I don't know. If you want my attention, email me. But I don't know. I read my email like once a day, I guess. At this point, right. I'm just like call my home yeah, phone or whatever. Call my home phone. Yeah, seriously. Right. I'm just like super heads down, and it was a great. It was a beautiful time because. I look at how much you know we were able to actually do in a relatively short period of time. So we had started this idea of a kernel technical discussion, and I just remember having this really big milestone around presenting the work that we had done to the whole kernel group. And my, my view on that was like when we did that, this was kind of the referendum on Dtrace, and we had to be far enough along to show that it merited additional investment that I'd kind of won myself the opportunity to work on this for some period of time, but not an indefinite period of time. And I really need to show very tangible wins. And one of the things that was important to me is the ability to actually uh, debug the system and be able to actually get some real bugs and show that we could. And I think that, you know, part of, you know, the, the kind of the genesis of Dtrace wanting to show itself by debugging actual bugs on the actual system, I think was really important. I don't know what, what, what your kind of take is on this, but I think oh, that we, um, I, I mean, both for credibility, but also to know that you were on the right path and to know what to build. And, and that, that was thematic and almost everything we added to Dtrace. Almost everything we, in fact, everything we added to Dtrace was because yeah. we needed it and we That's needed right. it. And from a very early period of time. So the kind of the first thing that, that, that kind of got working was this ability to instrument the functions in the kernel. 
um, to instrument with the, what we call FPT, function boundary tracing. Um, a term that I invented because I couldn't find a term for it. I'm like, what is the term for this? So I'm sorry. If FPT is a stinker, I'm sorry. <laughs> you play that. Yeah, it's amazing how much that is, uh, you know, people have latched onto that. It's, I mean, yeah, they have. Yeah. Maybe I shouldn't actually you on that one, but that turned out to be a good term, or at least nobody could think of a better one. No one can think of a better one, really. I think that that's actually much more accurate. And we, so I, I got FBT working and I knew that we wanted, I think the other thing that was actually really helpful is that all of this, one of the things I definitely wanted to do was replace Lockstat as a Detroit's provider. So, I mean, I, in other words, I wanted to use, I, I wanted to separate out the way we instrumented the system from the framework that consumed that instrumentation. And I think that was a really important idea i was thinking i think that idea was more important than i realized actually um that because that, i think other frameworks hadn't done that other frameworks had tied together the way i instrument the system from the thing that that actually processes the data and uh in a way that was really hard to kind of unglue and it was very important to have a very crisp boundary what we call the provider boundary there yeah other important principle that you nailed in that first prototype or, or that first presentation was the the ability to run it in production, meaning the system was going full tilt, fully optimized, you know, no weird flags or extra code generated, and then dropping into an instrumented system where the penalty was proportional to the question being asked. And that I, I know that we've we've probably said that ten thousand times in ten thousand presentations, but um didn't feel obvious at the time and and other tracers at the time certainly weren't doing that it definitely didn't have that approach yeah i mean that was a very important constraint when we actually set out is that this has this has to be available on production systems and then that was a a constraint and that was guided from the work we had done with customers the work we had done on these benchmarking systems and then i think it also must be said the work that we had done one of the things that was really important that we had done uh, and a decision that 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 definitely predated me and due to Roger Faulkner, the late Roger Faulkner and others, was the fact that we were running the operating system ourselves in building 17. So we had an NFS server that had the whole building hanging off of Jurassic. Um, and this ended up inspiring uh, other groups inside of Sun did did similar things. And we ended up with like prototype hardware. We ended up using this again and again and again. We've used it here at Oxide. And boy, running yourself on yourself is both very empowering and very eye-opening in terms of the constraints of the problem you become your own customer and the like we had to have because we had we definitely had issues with Jurassic and we needed to be able to debug Jurassic and we couldn't afford to put a debug kernel on there or a different kernel or a kernel that actually uh you know had this kind of instrumentation enabled we couldn't we couldn't take a reboot to go uh, actually debug a problem. We needed to debug it in situ. It had to be available in production. That meant it had to be absolutely safe. So that was definitely a, a, a constraint from the get-go. It's like, we have to be safe. And as a result, when we instrument things um, and the, the kind of the contract that a provider has with Detroit itself is that, that I'm going to instrument the system in a way that is safe, um, the way that we, we will not be able to actually roll the system. So it's not going to instrument the system in a way that it doesn't understand or can't reason about. And Detrace will always err on the side of like, sorry, I can't instrument this because I actually don't have confidence about the context that this thing is in. But we do have, because we could figure out every function entry and return in the system, and we had a way of, of instrumenting that pretty cheaply in, in Spark without a trap, actually, by using an unconditional branch, um, we was able to get something 
working pretty quickly with FBT. And I just remember running it on my desktop and being able to see all of the things that were going on in what was the uh, HME was the ha- Happy Meal Ethernet, um, which is the, 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 it has its own story. We need Tom Lyon here to tell the Happy Meal Ethernet story. But um, it was the, uh, the NIC that we had at the time and being able to see everything that was going on in the driver as it was happening, being able to do that totally safely, control C it and have the system restored and being able to do that, all that on my own desktop. I just, that, that was like an early moment of like, this thing actually has legs. This is important. And I, we're going to be able to do things with this that we couldn't do with any other system. That must have been an incredible moment. I mean, just to have been thinking about this problem for, you know, five, six, seven years. And then, I don't know, just to, I still get a kick out of seeing like what is going on on my desktop right now. And for, to see that for the first time, like must've been pretty wild. It was wild. Yeah. And I think it was, it was wild. And it was also like, okay, it was, it it was, I mean, vindicating is almost the wrong word. It was energizing because it was like, okay, we've got a lot of work to go do, but, but it was one of these things that that you, you, when you're engineering something big, you get these, like the omens become really important. You know what I mean? It's like, it's the seabirds showing that you're close to (laughs) land or the dolphins, you know, to go to a... A, a nautical metaphor. I mean, the, 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 and those omens are really important. Like you're on the right track. This is, and you you really, especially when you're early in something big, you need to take those things really seriously uh, because they, they can be really inspiring and you need that energy to get through all the things you need to go do to get this thing done. So yeah, that was really, that was, that was great. And I just remember being like, wow, okay, this is, we can actually, there's a lot we need to go do, but there's a lot we can go do with this. Um, yeah. And so, so you guys gave that presentation. And as I recall, I mean, it, it brought down the house. Like people went bananas for both what you were showing and the, the vision that you were painting. Yeah. And I, I, I just dropped the deck in the, in the chat for that, um, which actually was funny. I don't know. Adam, have you looked at that deck since we basically presented? I've interviewed God. Yeah. 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 And I, I, are you going to talk about like the, uh, the Sun IT naming convention? <laughs> yeah. Is that where you're going? Because that. <laughs> yeah. I, I I was on slide one of that deck and I was like, oh, they dropped the joke. And then and then I went to slide two. I was like, oh, there it is. I remember that. Right. At the time, <laughs> IT ops was determined that everyone should conform to this first initial, last initial uh badge ID as their as like their identifier. And we were all gonna get username. tattoos or something. Yeah. Right. As your username, yeah. and you were no longer and I, you know, this is one of these interesting cultural things where like you know, McNeely was kind of listened to the wrong person on this one and didn't really understand the issue. And then well, and def- he was going to be SM3. So what did he care? Yeah, exactly. I, I don't know. Why is everyone so upset? Well, I, do you remember him like being like, okay, I guess it's like really important that everyone has their call sign or whatever. I'm like, <laughs> named your child Maverick after Top Gun, dude. Like you were on the thinnest conceivable ice here. Okay, like let's rename your kid. I mean, let's start. Yeah, okay, let's get rid of everyone's call sign, pal. Um, but the, I mean, to his credit, so I think this was right when this was being kind of handed down. And I, you know, to his credit, they realized that this was a bad idea and they actually needed to go. Uh, and so th- th- this was, this was rescinded shortly thereafter. And we got it. We, we, we were allowed to keep our, uh, our identifiers. I think they realized that like these usernames are like, all right, these, these, these engineers take their usernames really seriously. Don't touch their usernames. They freak out. Um, but so yeah, that, that that's, that's in this deck, but the, um, yeah, so I recall it going on for a long time. 
it was being, I think it's the first one that we videoed. I've got the video somewhere. I don't know where um, right now. On VHS, I just want to point out. Like, even if you found it, like, what would you do with it? <laughs> I actually think we had it transferred to D. We had it transferred oh. to DVD. All right. So it okay, does exist cool. on DVD. And I, I should make some effort to find it because, I, you know, it's kind of, I mean, it would be, this is like for people, people think I'm looking even, now. Even then, like the DVD player, I don't know. But I mean, fine, good. That's better. Yeah, I know. It is better, but like, where, where does one find a DVD player? But the, um, and yeah, I mean, it was, it was. It was a lot of, I mean, I, Adam, so it's kind of interesting because like you were effectively in the audience. You were a, you had just- 100% in the audience. I, I had nothing to do with Dietrich at that point. Um, I was, I mean, I, I was cheering it on, but like I hadn't used it. I hadn't worked on it. And so I, I think it was, I don't think people realized how kind of far along we were down. So, I mean, I do love the fact that we were, and actually I was kind of surprised when they're like, man, we actually were. We had done a lot in not very much time. And in particular, there were, I mean, we probably, we spent a little bit too much time on our own implementation because that's what we were right in the in the, the weeds of. But, you know, we had done some actually important things like pretty early. Um, and, you know, we, we talk about like the safety in there and using the type system and, uh, you know, being able to, in aggregations are there and predicates are there. Uh, and then also like anonymous tracing, I kind of forgot that we'd done that that early. But anonymous tracing is one of these things I think to this day most people don't appreciate because like why would you? You know who cares? And anonymous tracing is the ability to instrument during boot. And this is one of these things that um, you know most people don't care about because most people don't care. I don't know the system boots. Like I, I don't care about how it performs or what, but it's for us, it was really important to know like what's happening when the system boots. And it was brutal to instrument the system while it boots. And it was always by hand. And so the ability to have D-Trace be, to be able to, to instrument the system while it booted uh, and then be able to go get, get that data was really important. And I think in this deck, I even refer to a bug that we found of like, you know, we, we found obviously lots and lots and lots of issues by shining a bright light on and we're able to, you know, shave whatever it was eight seconds off of the boot time on some ridiculous oh, yeah. arc. Well, and then um, as you alluded to, we were about to kick off a project that reimagined how boot happened. So it turned out to be incredibly useful for, uh, yeah. for examining that. D uh, totally. Where you would have these things where it's like actually... You, you could do a big elaborate project. Well, let's actually go with, gather some data on the system. Like, oh, look at this. We can actually go fix this like three line bug. And actually, turns out there's as much performance there as there is in your in to total rewrite. Uh, and I feel like that happened quite a bit. Um, and the and so th there's a lot that's in here. And then, uh, you know, the one thing about this presentation, I don't think it does a terrific job <laughs> of delineating the things we had done versus the things that we were kind of envisioning to do. Using um, the optative voice, yeah. Using the optative voice, exactly. Um, the uh, So there are some things here that we're definitely still in the future. Some things we never did at all, like the basic block tracing. Um, but this, nonetheless, was like a... And I do, I think that it was, I think other folks saw that like, okay, wow, this is, this is good. This is important. And I, you know, the purpose of that, of, of that, uh, th that kernel technical discussion was really to uh, get folks excited about the work so we could keep doing it. I mean, that's ultimately, and this is not from like a budget perspective, but really more from a cultural perspective of like, Hey, this is, you know, we think this is important. What does everyone else think? And uh, yeah, the reaction was really, was really positive, which was great. Um, and then Adam, your reaction in particular was, was really, really positive. And 
you were in particular thinking about like, hey, I've been thinking about like how we would go instrument applications. And right. that was great. But, yeah. but, but before that happened, so that was in March, we presented that. This is in 2002. Um, and I was going hella skiing in April of 2002. And, and <laughs> how much did I confide in you, Adam? my fear of death from that that i zero yeah so, <laughs> so i'd be curious if like matt if you remember this if anyone else was there at the time remembers this and maybe i was just like keeping this so i i've been an avid skier my whole life i, I i'm an aggressive skier i love to skate and would you know not really it would be unlike unlike me to get really you know uh nervous about skiing and i had this kind of truly once in a lifetime opportunities i've done it exactly once to go hell skiing in in canada and with a reservation it was one of these things we made this reservation in 1999 when like it was like the height of the dot-com boom it is now 2002 and it's kind of like the depth of the bust and like definitely economically it made a lot less sense <laughs> you're like why not like i've got the money like right. sunstock can only go in one direction sunstock, and, and as it turns out sunstock can only go in one direction that part was true <laughs> they, you know, i got the direction wrong um so yeah it made like no economic sense by the time we were actually doing it so i kind of had the economic apprehension of like oh, this does not make sense economically and the uh but we i'm like you know, kind of on brand. I'm beginning to kind of do my research on this, like only a week before we're going or something like this. And I'm beginning to realize as I'm, you know, this is early days of the internet, information's not totally available, but I'm beginning to realize like this is more dangerous than I realized. And in particular, the avalanche risk is really pretty real here. And, you know, we were going with a very, like the absolute best of the best outfit, Canadian Mountain Holiday outfit. But what I discovered is that this outfit had had this like mass casualty event like a couple years prior and where something like 11 people had died and oh my goodness. right and you're just and of course like the 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 kind of person who organized this trip is like it's fine it's totally safe i'm like are, just, are you aware of this incident that happened you know a couple years ago where they they lost an entire party basically he's like i was not aware of that i'm like yeah, you may want to look into this, <laughs> this incident because they had like their most senior guide out there i mean it was just one of the one of these things that highlights you know, when you are in the high country and is skiing terrain that has not been skied, like avalanche risk, you can know a lot about an avalanche and still get caught in an avalanche. So I'm like, I'm going to die in an avalanche and I am going to die in an avalanche and D-Trace is going to be unfinished because I had, you know, I was working with Mike on this, but Mike, you know, to his credit, Mike was not just working on D-Trace. Mike was also working on fma the fault management architecture was also working on smf the service management facility so he's kind of like working on more or less three things at the same time um and yeah this one's asking in the chat is this before airbags and rescue beacons it is 100 percent before airbags and in fact i ended up skiing in this thing called the avalung which at the time i'm like this is i'm gonna like mitigate my risk here and the Avalung allowed you to the idea of the Avalung is that that when you die in an avalanche, sorry, we're here. When you die in an avalanche, you die of asphyxiation because the you create this ice layer right around your mouth. And if you could avoid creating that ice layer, you'd be able to breathe through the pack and the, the snowpack. And the way to do that is to breathe in air through the pack and then exhale through your back. 
So the avalung would be this thing that you would bite down on and it would allow you to, when you breathed in, it was a valve that sat on your chest. When you breathe in, you'd breathe in through this, this giant, uh, this kind of membrane on your chest and you breathe out, it would go out your back. And I can tell you that the one, I think these thing, these things were found to like not really work that well because in an actual avalanche, this thing would get knocked out of your mouth and you wouldn't be able to get it. So as it turns out, it wouldn't have done anything for me. I can tell you that like socially, it definitely had a cost because did you look a little bit like Bane? Okay, so one, you look different. Also, it's a little bit awkward when you are taking a safety precaution that no one else in your party is taking. You know what I mean? Where everyone's like, what's that thing? I was like, well, I don't want to die. But okay, but you know, you whatever, you'll be fine. I don't know. I mean, it's like, you know what I mean? The uh, it was definitely uh, a, a, a little a little awkward, made for some awkward conversation. But I so, and, and this did not dispel your fear of death, despite breathing out your back. No, this is not. No, I well, I was just like, I think that I'm doing this is a risky activity and I think I might die. And if I die because Mike has all these other priorities, D-Trace won't be finished. And I remember actually sitting in our apartment because we also lived together. I remember sitting in our apartment being like having this like heart to heart with him. I'm like, I think that like if I die, like you've got these other priorities. You're not going to get this thing done. And and like, right, 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 right. But what about your stereo? No, no, totally. I just like the answer I got out of him was just like, this is not, I'm, I, I don't know, man. I like I'm coming in with apprehensions and you're not like talking me out of them. So I had this idea that I unfortunately do not have a photo. I wrote my last will and testament on the whiteboard at Sun. So I am going house game, and in case I die, here are the six things that need to be done to Detrace. And you do not do you remember this, Adam? No, no, no. So and a really kind of like, really macabre version of can't Kanban or whatever it is. I feel like like the well, the, also, the death post-it notes or whatever. <laughs> Yeah, well, I, I felt like if I do die, I mean, God forbid, but this will now become like sacred. And I'm actually, I this is just to tell you like how far around the bend I was. I'm like, it will be erased by like the janitorial staff will accidentally erase it. So I like had like save, save, save written all over it. So they couldn't actually erase it. And then wrote down my last one. Testament thinking like people will be like, no, we must honor his memory by implementing these. I know. So you just wonder like, would that have actually happened? Or would they have been like, I'm not implementing that. That sounds terrible. I'm not doing that. I don't care the guy died. Yeah, like it's fine. Like I'm sad about his death. Okay. Like, it's look, like what are we going to be haunted by the ghost of Brian for not like, I don't know, implementing tracing the way he wanted. Speculative tracing. Like really? Right. Wait, who actually needs this? Nah, this like who needs this thing, right? <laughs> it's very esoteric. Um, so uh, yeah, I had my last one testament, but apparently, like, didn't really. I mean, I, I guess, I guess you don't remember it, so I don't nah. know. I guess it wasn't wasn't that effective. Uh, you, man, the number of times you'd go into your office and write some manifesto or another. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> if I kept track of every last one of the testament you wrote on your whiteboard, pal, I just like. <laughs> I think the one's yeah. in the oxide office right now. It's like you yeah, like, lost, lost for now, right? I mean, <laughs> right. So I think that it was, and then after that, Adam, that you and I kept talking, and in particular, because you were working on something in the fault manager architecture, I just remember like us sharing like a shuttle ride or something. You're kind of like, you know, I'm working on this, and all I can think about is Detroit. Like I, that's actually what I want to go work on, and I think this is another one of these like interesting object lessons where you really should work on the things you want to work on. And if you have something that, like, I can't stop thinking about this, you should go work on that thing. Yeah. You know, whatever and that it, is, even if it doesn't make sense. 
Yeah. And, and I was working on the fault management architecture, which like in theory I was interested in, but just in practice, I could not get fired up for a lot of the the mechanics of what we were building. And in the meantime, you know, the summer before I had interned at Sun working on this thing that we were calling LibDIS, which was about uh, structured debug, uh, structured um, disassembly, you know, focused on Spark at the time, but trying to understand, you know, kind of a baby Ghidra of understanding how these programs were operating. And it just got me really strongly connected with this, with, you know, machine code and assembly. And in particular, I started thinking about what user land tracing would look like and about, you know, this, this split program counter, next program counter, and could we replace a particular instruction with a trap? You know, the, the trick that we were using in the kernel of branching to a new location wasn't going to work in user land, but could we use a, uh, you know, 32-bit trap instruction, get into the kernel, kind of move that instruction somewhere else, and resume in user land? I've been thinking about a lot of aspects of that. And uh, you know, true to what you're saying, you know, I kind of I, whether it was on the shuttle or wandering by your office, kind of pitching you this thing. You're like, yeah, why don't you do that? I don't know. That sounds like way more interesting than what you're working on with fault management. Yeah, let's go do that. And then you, uh, as I recall, like Mike was out of town when that happened. So I'm like, quick, I was out of town. We're gonna move <laughs> right. from one of his products to a different one of his products. It's fine. They'll be, be fine. Yeah. Um, but that was really important so many different dimensions one not i mean obviously you brought like this particular an aspect of the problem that was ended up being extremely important user level tracing but also just like it just brought so much energy to have i mean it's really what we needed honestly is we needed a a third person and it, 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 sorry i had survived as it turns out you know <laughs> the LPR, i survived i survived telescope um and it was well, you really, know the really first important. thing i the first thing i worked yeah. on was um you what know, we've been talking about this, but uh, you and Mike had realized that understanding what where we were in user space turned out to be really important. So the first thing I worked on was Ustack, and I swear I am not I was not slow walking into Dtrace Fish, but you and I that's when I, you and I independently came up with this maybe clever way of pulling out registers through register windows which we've talked about in i think every episode so i won't go into the details i, do, I feel we have but but, but yet, and yet still somehow not enough yet <laughs> yeah uh, but so that was that the first was, thing that, i did that was was you interesting okay yeah yeah because because uh and that was a totally new lens because we thought you know we were looking at all of this kernel stuff and by then i think we even had a syscall provider but then to tie that into where you were in user space that was another like crazy moment of insight just uh you know a new lens onto all of these problems a, a huge new lens very important and then so i was trying to remember that the origin of the name mr sparkle when does mr sparkle become yeah so um not surprisingly we were we would communicate by and large through simpsons metaphor something and that's right uh and um the the pit provider had kind of two pieces of it. One was the the raw instrumentation of you know when an instruction was supposed to execute, how we arranged for it to appear as though it had after firing the probe. But the other part was identifying the location of probes, and um, and we've been talking about this provider as Mister Fast Trap for a long time. I'm not 100 <laughs> sure why. But then um, what we did in Userland is sort of disassembled all the functions 
to understand you know, where function entry and return and then where the discrete instructions were. Um, something that you know, we sort of got differently um, for, through the kernel linker for FBT, but for userland, we need to kind of pick our way through because we didn't necessarily have the same uh, preamble and suffix as we did for, for all these functions in the kernel. So we started calling that thing Mr. Sparkle. And actually to this day, Brian, if you turn on debugging for Dtrace, it will vomit out uh, messages prefixed with Mr. Sparkle as Mr. it- Mr. Sparkle lives. So as, it stum as it stumbles in particular, it would get really freaked out if it found what it thought was a jump table. Jump table is, uh, right. you know, what would happen is you would have um, uh, uh, data effectively sitting within the range of a function's symbol. Uh, the data was used to inform where sort of a densely patched switch statement would redirect. And without this identification, uh, Mr. FastTrap and slash Dtrace would identify a bunch of data as though it were instructions. And uh, that didn't go so well. When you started replacing data with trap instructions, then it meant you would fly off into outer space with very little uh, you know, to help you figure out how you got there. And your application would die. And your application would die spectacularly. Often like several instructions away, you know, maybe dozens of instructions away from where, where the actual incident occurred, which made it even trickier to found, figure out how you got there. And so, all right, so this thing, we, we started calling Mr. Sparkle after the terrific right. Simpsons app, the fishbulb, the- That's uh, right, right. Mr. Mr. Sparkle being the confluence of uh, two Japanese industries that whose logo looked exactly like Homer. It, see notes for complete details. An episode that we love so much that we implicitly named Fishworks after it. That's right. Uh, it really is a great episode. Actually, we had a coworker that uh, studied Japanese in Yeah, Elijah and I. Uh, I had Elijah watch that episode too because I, I just wanted to like understand more about the the Japanese. Seems so plausible. Yeah, the Japanese is very good. He's like, it's very formal Japanese, but it's very good. <laughs> this is really interesting. It's great. Nice. Um, but so, so and then and I remember another big milestone was when you could instrument every instruction in Firefox. Remember when that correctly? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that, there was a bunch of, you know, a bunch of failed attempts at that, which involved like driving off into a ditch, but things like how you deal with uh, asynchronous um, signals being delivered while you're in the midst of uh, executing a, um, you know, one of these trace points. So there's lots of corner cases to to consider along those lines. But yeah, then we we go to, from you know a Firefox that we downloaded off the shelf, um, you know, turned on millions of trace points. The thing would slow down a ton, but it was still usable, and that it was pretty wild. Yeah, was I it, mean, it was, was it Firefox or was it Netscape at the time? It was Firefox. Huh. I, I I am pretty sure it was. Uh, no, no, excuse me, it was Firebird. Firebird. Right, I think this is before. Oh, would that make yeah. sense, Josh? Uh, that was definitely a thing before Firefox. Yeah, so we yeah. actually—if you look oh, at the it was Mozilla, right? It was Mozilla. Was right, it called it was, Mozilla at the time? I think it was Firebird. Uh, in the Detroit documentation, there's lots of examples. I actually kind of deliberately did this in the when we were doing Detroit examples. I'm like, I want to capture like little time capsules in the Detroit documentation. <laughs> 
So I did this over and over and over again. This is like my little Easter eggs, oh you know, a little where I would deliberately like capture the date or capture the applications that were running. Cause I'm like, I want to capture like the applications of the day. Uh, and I definitely um, remember like, so there's a lot of Firebird in there now that may have been Mozilla before it was Firebird, but the, mm. I, it was on Spark importantly, because this is not yeah. on x86. I remember Adam, when you were talking about Mr. Sparkle, and by the way, if you go into the source space, it, it is great. Like, you you search for Mr. Sparkle. There are like six different points that still have Mr. Sparkle in there. Oh, yeah. oh I, I just I hope that that future civilizations like, choke on that one, AGI. Like, hey, go go make sense of that one. You're so smart, you Mr. Mr. AGI rewriting us all. Like, what does that mean, Mr. Sparkle? Um, of course, it's listening to this episode right now, so I just gave it away. I was just thinking, I, I should have thought about my service to the light come before I did that. The um. But we, I remember thinking vividly, like, this will never work on x86. Do you remember that? Like, we were like, okay, this is going to work on Spark, but on x86, we're just like a hose. We're just going to do something completely different. Yeah, and definitely. W- when we integrated Dtrace, we did not have fast track. We did not have uh, PID provider support for x86, I think. Right? I think That's that right. And, but did you have FBT support uh, for x86 at the time? Because FBT, like, I don't think you could take the branch. You had to take a trap there as well. I did take a trap. I couldn't take it to the branch. And I did that via, I, I wanted to avoid the fact that, so with the trap instructions, your XCC gets you, like the debugger gets confused. So to prevent the debugger mm-hmm. from being confused, I used, I generated, I generated an illegal instruction with a lock prefix. Oh, that's right. That's right. Questionable decision. Um, but um, so yeah, I th- and I can't remember if we had that when we integrated or not. I think we had FBT on x86. Maybe. To be clear, FB, I mean, x86 supported sort of, but like clearly a second class citizen at the time, which is yes. insane. And, uh, you know, perpetually like being announced that it was being killed, but then we would rally to unkill it. So it, it always, it was in limbo for a very long time. Well, and I think the great darkness for x86 is, I believe, like January of 2002 to October 2002. Is the that that I believe is the era in which remember it was killed. Do you remember this? Yeah, yeah. We went to like an all hands for the engineering organization, and they're like x86 Solaris is dead, and then we all went back to building 17 and talked about how we'd keep it alive. That's right, and we're like, we are going to keep it alive because this is so obviously the wrong decision, and we we will perish if we. I mean, it was so obvious. I mean, it was just. I mean. It was a very bad decision. It was a very bad decision. And the person who made that decision, you know who you are and we know who you are. So we're just, we'll just leave it at that. Um, but it was a very bad decision that was that was ultimately revisited, uh, importantly, and it was resurrected. But so the operating system had only been resurrected. I, again, I think it was, I want to say October of 2002 that it had been resurrected. So we, I, I think maybe had FBT for x86, but definitely not the PID provider um, when we actually integrated, but then I think you did the PID provider. I think that was like the, the, the next thing that we did was the that's right. <laughs> so, so for a long time, so in my, I had a workspace, like a branch called fast trap minus X. Do you remember this brand? And like yes. everybody's laptop was oh, running God. fast trap minus X for a while. Oh, fast trap minus X. I love that workspace. <laughs> that, yeah, so it was, was like, like a workspace being the Git branch of its day. That's right. Um, and yeah, I'd forgotten. 
Right, fast track minus six. Oh, so another thing that we, you know, that we that I thought was interesting was that the and I, I know uh, Madison, I'm not sure if he wants to hop on stage to speak, but the one of the things that was really neat was before we had integrated, uh, projects had decided that Detroit was so important to them that they would actually be a child of the Detroit gate. So they were, I mean, and you can again view this in, this in, in teamware parlance, um, but you. We had effectively created a fork of the operating system that we were that, that we were staying in sync with, and so people had decided that instead of syncing up with the the operating system, they were going to actually sync up with the Detroit gate because we were synced up with the operating system. So that and then they would get kind of Detroit for free. And I'm I, I know that SMF did that. I think CFS did that as well. Um, but a couple and of folks. I'm pretty sure Zones did that too. Anyway, there were a bunch of folks backed up, and we we really needed to stick that landing before you know you died hella skiing. We needed to stick the landing. <laughs> And yeah. we, and then, and, uh, and we had a very exciting integration that we talked about recently. So that was, we don't, yeah. don't need to belabor that one. That was a very, uh, but that was a very exciting day. Um, and, uh, ultimately, um, landed. And I, when is AA debug, Adam? That must have been, that was before. That was, that was, that was earlier, I think, right? Was that earlier in 2003? Cause I had kind of, you're right. I think it must have been. So we, That's right. you and I had gone to Ghent. That was in, oh, that was right afterwards. Hmm. That was right after we integrated. Man, no wonder we felt like we were up against, we had a narrow window. Hmm. That was September 8th, 9th, and 10th. Of course it was. Oh, that's right. I forgot. Right. That's right. Of course it was. We should have definitely remembered that. And so we should also acknowledge that today is 9-11. It is. And the... And of course, because we were in Belgium, and this is only on the second anniversary of 9-11. And the first anniversary, for those of you who kind of like were not alive or were not aware, 9-11 was awful, obviously. But it was like, rip your heart out awful. I remember, and Adam, you had just joined Sun. I just joined, you know, sort of a newly minted adult sort of. And it was in, you know, it, it, the whole world changed. It was just devastating. And it was like, and, uh, you know, many, many people have, have connections to New York. Some lost an employee on one of the planes. I and mean, it was just like devastating. And then I remember the next year being so angry that that was not a holiday, that we worked mm. on night, on September 11th, 2002. I remember being like, we should, this should not be a work day. No one could work. It, it, it was just like, that should have been a national holiday. It should have been a national day of mourning. It was really awful. But it, but the, by the time we hit like not September 11th, 2003, it was beginning to like the kind of the, the scar tissue was beginning to form. It wasn't like, it, it, it didn't have that kind of recency to it. And you and I are in a debug and like everyone is kind of feeling a little bit calmer. And then Osama bin Laden is on September 10th you and I are both traveling on September 11th. That's right. Flying. Oh, I think you were, you were like flying to flying to back to DC or something. I am flying from Brussels to DC. I'm flying from the head of the EU to the, 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 the head of America uh, on September 11th, 2003. Right. And uh, as it turns out, that was a pretty empty flight. I had booked that because it was like really easy to get a ticket without realizing that like, <laughs> wow, this is like so cheap. I'm saving like, the company so much money. I'm saving the company so much money. You're like, oh, I'm like, no, I'm like thinking like I'm going back on Thursday. And then I'm like, no, I'm going back on 9-11. I'm such an idiot. And then I was feeling somewhat apprehensive. And then on September 10th, if I recall correctly, you and I are in Belgium together. 
and which was a, 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 I mean, for was a, for a lot of fun for a, lot, a bunch of different reasons. We'll get to kind of the detrace consequences of that trip in a second. But Osama bin Laden is like, I'm going to do something even more terrible on this 9-11. Like, I'm going to do something. I'm really going to blow your brains on this. Like, this is going to be really amazing on this. 9/11. And I remember being like, shit. And I remember, Adam, do you remember your counter argument to this? Yeah, I remember thinking that that would be bad marketing. Thinking if someone says 9-11, you know, it already means a thing. So right. then it just gets confusing. It'd be, it's like, no, this is the one day you wouldn't do anything on. You'd be hmm. like, oh, that 9-11 was the most spectacular of all. Like, which 9-11 are you talking about? First 9-11, second 9-11. It's like, it's going to be a marketing mess. And this, this is going to be like, committee. like Coke Zero? Is that? It's exactly. It's going to be Coke Zero, Coke Classic. This one dies in committee at Al-Qaeda. And I remember <laughs> feeling like total solace at that. I'm like, you're right. This is this, <laughs> But the the kind of the 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 detrace ramifications of that. Oh, by the way, I was feeling a lot less confident. When I was actually on the plane, which is like very clear that this plane is like basically three quarters empty, and everyone else seems to be like an air marshal. So I, I I'm not sure if I picked the right day to travel or not. But the um the detrace ramifications of that. I don't I remember like we we like we have to write a detrace paper. I remember, do you yeah. remember us talking about that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right after hanging with these academics, yeah. Yeah, and is and I I think we felt like it is very very important that we write a detrace paper, and that became a top priority. I mean, it, the, there was technical work to do after the integration, but writing the paper that became the Usenix paper that we would present the next year. Um, the I, I I'm not sure when that must have been submitted in like November or something like that of that year in order to be yeah. and um and we and I. I I feel very fortunate. I mean, it was like the acceptance rate was getting extremely low for Usenex, ATC, the annual technical conference. Um, but that paper ended up being really important. And I'm really glad we did that. I'm, I'm glad that we forced ourselves to do that. And I, yeah. you know, another kind of big lesson of Detrace is it is really worth forcing yourself to write this stuff down. I don't think like, I, I don't think an academic conference is the right thing for most practitioner authored stuff. But I think you know whether it's it's a blog entry or an ACMQ article or a, getting that kind of written vessel is really really important to describe work. Totally agree. So then we, uh, I mean, I, I do kind of want to move forward in time here. Um, yeah. We um, so Detroit becomes we we believe it's a big deal, um, but that's in part because we're using it. Uh, other people start using it. It's it's pretty clear that I, that it's. Um, it was a lot of fun to go demo, which was great. The blog. When does the when do blogs.sun.com? When does that happen? Because I feel like that happens like almost around the same time, like two thousand four. You know, yeah, or yeah, maybe yeah, right right around that time. Because I'm not sure when we open sourced it, but I remember Dtrace being the first thing. I remember some of our early blog posts talking about. No, no, no it was maybe even. Yeah, it was 2004 because we were talking about the launch of Slayers 10, open yes. sourcing Dtrace. That's right. Uh, it was right around that time. You're right. Yeah, and so I think we did the, the the and a huge credit to Tim Bray encouraging Sun engineers to blog, and so we started blogging in 2004, and we were really being be able to be much more transparent about what we were doing, which was really important, I think, for us to be able to like really talk about Dtrace. And I, th I mean, I feel like Dtrace, Dtrace was kind of like born on social media in that regard, it, albeit primordially. Because people were not relying on kind of official Sun documentation for this. They were getting this kind of from us and us talking about what we were doing. And the blogs were really important for us, I think, for, for Detrace. I mean, am I? Am no, that's am right. And both getting it out there and then uh, hearing people's use of it, I think that was a really important vessel. 
it was really important. And then like, I, I do love like going, although it's a bit hard in Italy on ttrace.org, which has got a, a down, yes, a down rev WordPress installation that desperately needs some attention. Like, we are, we are <laughs> like WordPress at 20. Yes. What is WordPress why, at 20? Why would you say that out loud? Oh my God. I know it's so stupid. I know. I know. Please. Uh, the, uh, but the comments were really good in, yeah. uh, so, you know, this is like, we're so old, Adam, that, that we remember when comments and blogs were productive. Yeah. You'd like respond to people on blogs and have like a whole discussion without any Nazis. Without any Nazis. It was amazing. And like the biggest problem was like people who were just trying to like, you know, sell you things as opposed That's to right. like actually. Uh, so th th those were definitely halcyon days, but um, that ended up being really important. And then the, and, and that, that's like, we started to get like real community around it. Then as you say, we open sourced it in, uh, in January of, of 2005. Um, and that was the, you know, the D was the first thing out of the shoot and we wanted in, in, in part because Dtrace was clean from an IP perspective. We Dtrace had been wholly developed by sun. We were not waiting for anybody to relicense anything. So we needed something that we could open source to show that we were serious about it. And um, because we wanted and in to particular show that we weren't holding back the crown jewels. I think that was That's one right. of the things that uh, as we started talking about opening up Solaris, that people were convinced that we would give away, uh, you know, the, the stuff that the, the 20 year old crap, but not like the newest hotness. And so we started with what we thought was some new hotness, which was great. I mean, it was kind of an honor to be in that position and, was really important to us to open source it. Um, that's when we turned into to the Detroit fish, and it's and it, it it's shared it's shared ancestry, <laughs> um, right. the mirrored ancestry. But the, it was really important for us to to get that out there and to get that open. And I remember at the time being like, another part of the reason I want to get this open is I I want this technology to survive the company that it's in. And I I mean, which turned out to be you know a bit too on the nose, but I, <laughs> it, it, it was really important to me that like this become a contribution writ large. And that I, in particular, I remember thinking like, I do not want to, the thing I desperately wanted to avoid was some years later in my career pining for what we had built and not mm -hmm. being able to use it. It would just feel like, it would just feel so gutting, you know, to not be yeah. able to use this stuff because Detroit was so important to uh, the, our, uh, our kind of everyday use. And, you know, Jason in, in the chat uh, says, you still remember the first issue that I used Detroit on. And you remember, Adam, we used to talk about this with people like you could see the change in disposition between people oh, right. who'd like, yes, I've looked at Detroit and it seems neat versus like Detroit just pulled me out of the fire. And okay. you, you know what? I still I love that I still get to see that. And, I, and we still get to see that We're, with our colleagues at Oxide where, you know, we show it, they've seen it, whatever. But then you get that DM and I'm sure you've gotten lots of them because I have. Like, hey, no, I actually used it. And holy smokes, like, how would I have done it without it? How do other people live? It's like, yeah, no, it's, it's great. It is great. It is really, really, really exciting to be able to do. It, it's exciting to kind of be with someone when they they realize, like, all of these things are now possible. And, sure. yeah, it's been, I mean, honestly, has been one of the, 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 the things that's just been a singular source of kind of for us is that we can that this thing this technology still is able to deliver this kind of delight to people and like wow i now like there's so much i can go do it's really great um and as you say it's been I, this is up until like present day because we've been able to do all sorts of things with it 
Um, so, so two things I want to touch on. So we've, we, um, I don't want to pat, throw out my shoulder or patting myself on the back on this, but we did get this Wall Street Journal Award. And the reason I want to bring it up is that we beat out <laughs> inhalable insulin. We yes. beat out inhalable insulin for the top price. Turns out inhalable insulin had a bunch of problems, whatever. But it meant for the first time I could both explain it in terms that my folks would understand where they could say, oh, inhalable insulin, that sounds really fancy. Can you beat that? And more importantly, they could brag to their friends. So that's the reason I want to I want to thank the Michael Toddy in the Wall Street Journal. Yeah, totally. Yeah, it was great. It was funny because, yeah, we had all of a sudden this uh, kind of a spotlight that we didn't imagine that we would be kind of featured in this way. We did beat out inhalable insulin, which really... That was seemed to be the headline for many people. Like many people, like like, what do you think? Like diabetes isn't important. Like I didn't. I no, we're not denigrating inhalable insulin. I but I Adam, I did like I like that you point out like for the record, inhalable insulin had many production <laughs> right. problems. And is there where are you are now? You using inhalable, inhalable insulin? insulin now? That's <laughs> right. Like, you're not in the podcast doing inhalable insulin at 20, are you? No, <laughs> not listening to that one. I go learn to go find uh. that podcast. That's a dead letter, inhalable insulin. Very definitely, definitely like one step up the ladder, at least from like a local boy makes good, uh, like local town newspaper photo that your mother puts on the fridge or whatever. Exactly. It was, it, uh, yeah, it, it was, it, and a, and huge kudos actually to the folks at Sun. I think Claire Dravano in particular had really reached out. It's a nominating process. You got to go through for that. And they had done all that stuff, which was, yeah. Just, Great, and really appreciate that. And because yeah, it was it was it it was nice to get that kind of a, a attention on the technology for sure. Um, because that was in two thousand six. When was that? Two thousand six. Like yeah. yeah, yeah, which is great. Yeah. Um, and the other and, one was yeah. uh, that I want to talk about is is you mentioned Lockstat at the Lockstat at the top about being one of these the kind of early dynamic instrumentation, but kind of statically scoped tools. And that you converted then to to operate in Dtrace, uh, we had the same idea in Userland. We thought, oh, you know, what's good for kernel locks would be great for Userland locks, which are a source of even crazier, weirder pathologies. And I don't remember this, but we had I had built this implementation of P locks that Userland locks that that was terrible. It was just awful with I, all yeah. these like implicit symbols strewn all over the place. And we looked at it and we said, nah, like we can't ship this. And, but that was the birth of USDT, of usually unstatically defined tracing, where oh, I didn't realize that, that that's kind of where that was coming from, from the, the yeah, the yeah, yeah. Huh. Yeah. So, so that was the first USDT provider, was the Plockstat provider built into libc as a way of sort of decorating these, uh, these locking primitives with. Uh, the information we'd need to instrument them. But then totally like caught by surprise, that turned out to be an incredibly powerful tool for dealing with dynamic languages, something that uh, we did not anticipate when thinking of that thing. Yeah. And so we should also talk about use stack helpers at some point. Oh yeah. Um, and so, and I, so a bunch of that yeah. was done for, you know, with the Java folks um, because we were at Sun. Uh, that's right. So uh, because we were at Sun, everything was, <laughs> everything was Java. So they sent the job of powers that be over to hang out with us. And we thought, how can we um, do meaningful instrumentation for Java? So half of that was a USDT provider, uh, the hotspot provider for examining 
you know, various aspects of Java execution. But the other one was, as Brian was saying, JSTAC. So building a, like a bunch of instrumentation into the binary itself, which would help Dtrace in the kernel figure out how to assemble a stack trace. And that was well, pretty it, wild. It was absolutely wild. Because in particular, like you, the, the JVM basically downloads a program that allows us to answer the question in situ, like which say in a context in which you cannot block, you cannot execute use level code. Uh, you're not actually touring complete, by the way. Uh, and we need to know for this symbol, what is the string that it corresponds to? And that was, uh, man, writing a D-trace yeah. helper is, because it is not Turing complete, I mean, that is programming your calculator. It is super <laughs> weird to go to. And, and, and then, do you remember like the, the, the tracing framework I did for helper providers? Oh, yeah. There's I like, got, like uh, this, the, this, this kernel switch you can turn on for it to like emit like uh, failures, basically. Yeah, so you can like have some like some way of debugging these things because they're just brutal. Yeah. To and and I remember thinking like, is this the simplest way? But I kind of came to. I mean, I think we all kind of came to the conclusion like this is enormously complicated, and yet it is still the simplest way to do this. You're um, basically running a program in a virtual machine that's an entirely safe context to examine the process memory, right? I mean, that's like that's I don't right, know how right. you could make that simpler and also make it cover all the. Cases. And did you put program in air quotes as you were saying it, Josh, to I did not. No, I mean, it is a, it's a program. There's no backwards branches. So it is not a yeah, program. But that's, but that's why, it, that's why it's safe. <laughs> you are executing a series of statements. Yes. And, and yeah. it is why it's safe. And I think, I do think that like, so one thing that, and I think we talked about this at the top, but one thing that is really important to understand about T-Trace is safety and, and is, is at its core, safety, production systems, and used pragmatically on debugging problems. And everything that we have done comes from that. And there, as a result, like, because some people have asked, like, I don't know, like, what's the difference between this and eBPF? Or what's the difference between this and system tab? Or what's the difference between this and whatever? And it's like the, when you, you can go find all of these surface differences, of which there are many, but there's also just a, a values difference at the core. And the core of DTrace is allowing you to safely understand what your system is doing. And everything that we do is about, we're not trying to augment the system. We're not trying, it is not a vector for delivering arbitrary, arbitrary software into your kernel. And it's, it's not designed to be, and it won't be, because that would violate the safety principles of DTrace. And, and, I, uh, and you can't understand this enough because um, like that safety built, built so much where you could bring this to the most critical customer system and know with confidence there was nothing you were going to do that was going to fuck things up. Totally. And th th this meant that, uh, you know, there wasn't nervousness around, you know, when you'd use it, where you'd use it, what kinds of problems would be applicable for, what kinds of customer systems. It, it bred this confidence. Now, it also had associated limitations, but that confidence, like, far outweighed it. We would, well, and, and, we would deploy instrumentation to you know th thousands of machines at Joyent without without <laughs> thinking thinking about it really. When you're looking back, it was very little uh, concern given to the potential downside because there basically wasn't one. Like I mean, yeah. it would, you know, even if you you would at worst get back unhelpful data or something like you know, but it, but it wouldn't. No one, no customers would be calling up saying like, you just destroyed a hundred of my instances all at once. Like, that well, and, really and, and 
Yeah, and there are so DJI is safe by design, and so we are. It's designed to be safe, and we did a bunch of things that are important in the implementation to make it safe. But even as safe as it was in the implementation, and in fact, Adam, it was with the Ustack helpers. Do you remember the issue that Jared hit with the Ustack helpers? So he was. I mean, Jared Jensen, one of the. I mean, the earliest user of DTrace outside of Sun, was just going to town with DTrace. I mean, DTrace and Jared were a great fit for one another. And so he was deploying it wherever he could on any kind to, to be able to get these wins on these kind of financial applications. And in particular, these things are in Java. So he's using JSTAC a lot. And I'm pretty sure Jared was the one who hit the, uh, because a, a big U-stack could take a long time to run, like hundreds of microseconds pretty easily, even up to like a millisecond to run all this. Because you're going through a lot of, I mean, for every single frame, you're going to ask the question, like, what is this thing I need to string? And you start doing that for, you know, your 500 frames deep. And it's like, all this, it's pretty easy to add up to like hundreds of microseconds. Uh, right. And it's also, it's Spark, it's, you know, 2001 or whatever. And 2003 at this point. Um, and I remember Jared like ran this and the system just became unresponsive. And that, so like the system was up by some definition. <laughs> Technically, <laughs> right. And that was a big eye opener of like, wow, we even as safe as we have designed this thing to be, simply doing no harm to the system is actually not enough. You actually have to keep the system alive. And we there's a bunch of liveness criteria, and the, you can go on some scary vacations because the, you you end up with an enabling that's got a really heavy probe effect. And Patrick, I know you and I have both sent the system on some very scary vacations, but it, but importantly, like Dtrace will realize. The system is not making forward progress. And DTrace's assumption is, if the system is not making forward progress, I DTrace him to blame. So I'm actually going to kill the enabling. Um, and I will let the user know this app, that this enabling is dead. Um, and that, I think, was a very important decision to be able to go do that and to give us the assurance that, at worst, you're going to get this kind of black hole moment that you'll actually come back from, which is very, very important. Like handfuls of seconds, and then things come back. Yes. Have you hit the, I, I assume you... The systemic hit, unresponsiveness? The systemic yeah, unresponsiveness? I mean, he tries aborted error once message? Or, once or twice. Yes, I have saved you from death. Uh, or you have been saved from death, actually. Because you're like, yeah. you've saved me from death. I think you caught, you like, I think you said that you were almost causing my death. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I was caught. I mean, you were the, only you can prevent systemic <laughs> unresponsiveness, I guess. But yeah. Yeah, but the uh, the JSTAC highlighted the need for that because you need to be. We just found you know, you're running that out of a profile provider, or what have you. It was just very easy to like really burden the system, and it was very important that we had that kind of escape valve um, to make sure that the system would 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 occur. Because Adam, I think you know our disposition was rightly we had zero opportunities to screw that up. Like Detroit yeah. takes out your system once, you're never going to run it again when it matters. That's right. You, you just do not have a do over on that one. And I think in that regard, it very much mirrors uh, Matt and Jeff's disposition towards CFS, where it's like, no, the number of opportunities you have for data corruption are actually zero. Like you, the, yeah. the thing corrupts your data, and you're going to be talking about it in Hacker News comments for the rest of your life. And you know, with Dtrace did not, the system did not toss, uh, and with CFS, we did not have corrupt data. And it was very important for both those things to operate from those constraints um, on out. Everything we do was, was abiding by those constraints. Uh, should we talk about the uh, post-Sun D-Trace journey? Yes, I think so. Because I, I do want to... So we did the... Uh, in in uh, 2008, we did the first D-Trace.com. That was not post-Sun, but that was kind of post... Uh, 
we had left the operating system group and we are now in this uh, this group at Fishworks, yet another reference to the Simpsons episode. Um, and we, uh, I, I did love, we, so we had a D-Trace conference, which sounds like, why would you have a D-Trace? I mean, really? You have enough people for a conference here? Uh, sort of, but, yeah. Yeah, sort of. How many, how many people showed up to the first one? Like a hundred. Uh, yeah. It's, I mean, same as the second and the third, about a hundred. Yeah. That's yeah, but good. it's been about a hundred every time. Yeah. I'll take that. And yeah, especially because Stephen O'Grady was there. It was very, Stephen O'Grady's like, I'll come out to this. I'm like, all right, great. And Stephen was super skeptical. He's like, oh my God, what are these people? And he's, I think Stephen, it would be interesting to know what he said now, but I think he was like, this is by far the most technical conference I've ever been at. Where it's like the old kernel level software is viewed as like high level around here, <laughs> and and we have like Steve Peters there, uh, and the uh, from Apple who I love, 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 love Steve, and talking about in particular the way. Do you remember he he was talking about how they'd use Detroit at Apple? On no, I don't remember this. Oh my god! Okay, so no, he had like a Q and A, and they were talking about how they had found this really nasty performance problem using dtrace um and you know steve is such a great technologist and so earnest anyway, it was really good um a bunch those videos are kind of like out there a bit but they're terrible quality have you seen any of those videos Adam? <laughs> no <laughs> they're 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 bad uh we did have uh but we uh we did play the ping pong variant of our own invention that nice. is still that that is still a, a, a omnipresent theme in our lives. Fish pong, we got we got burritos. It was a lot of fun. We had everyone. It was yeah. great. Um, and we had John Burnell there. John Burnell, who is, is since who actually died um, suddenly, unfortunately, only a couple of years after that. But John Burnell had done the FreeBSD port. Remember that? Right. Um, and I had done so. That was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed getting everyone together. And it was there that Stephen was like, "Yeah, this is great," but uh, I don't know, man. Like, what do you mean? You don't know. It's like, well, it's like, what are you going to do next year? Like, I don't know. What, are you, what do you mean you're going to do next year? It's like, if you do, like, there's no way, like, it's, it's not going to be this good next year. It's going to be, it'll just be a downer next year. Like, you just, you can't recreate this. Like, this is so incredible. You'll never be able to recreate it. I remember being like, can you just, like, let us have this day? Can we talk <laughs> can we about just this a moment, please? <laughs> yeah, can we just, like, enjoy this right now? Like, maybe we could, like, be a downer tomorrow. Like, today, this, this is pretty great. But I really think, God, he's really right. And I, we were like, okay, we need to not do dtrace.conf every year. And in fact, we ended up doing it in Olympiad. Tables. So mm. we did dtrace.conf in 2008. And then we did another one in 2012. And that was at the, the Children's History Museum, I think, in San Francisco. And then another I was one. In, that one? You were that there one. Yeah. Yeah. And then we did another one in 2016. Um, yep. and I think I'm wearing Adam, that shirt right now. Yeah. I am also wearing that shirt right now. I was, oh, I, yeah. you know, I saw in our earlier meetings where I'm like, you know what? I, I'm also going to wear that shirt today. There you go. Um, and, uh, that was a lot of fun. And I think it'd be and a, then I remember when I, when I joined Oxide, I said, you know, 2020 Olympiad year, we can start to sponsor it. But little did I yes. know. Oh, did you know 2020 yeah. canceled? Right. Um, and then we kind of like, uh, and you know, then the pandemic wore on. And but we, I, I Adam, I am here to pledge, dtrace.com, 2024, baby. That's right. You heard it here first, unplanned. Yeah, we, we are going to do dtrace.com for 2024. We're going to do it at Oxide, and it's going to be fun. That's what. There I we go. Say. And there will be and fish pong. We we promise all of these things. There'll be fish pong. There'll be food. We'll have a T-shirt. It's going to be great. Yeah. Um, 
how many? Oh God, we so 2024. We've got okay. We we we've we got, got some, some time. time. We got a minute. Yeah, yeah. We got like a year. We got a year. Uh, but yeah. we got, we're going to do it, and it's going to be a lot of fun, and we're going to get the band back together. Because there are a couple of things I want to talk about that are are recent innovations. So do you want to talk about Adam? Is this a good segue to get to USDT on Rust? Because I think this is where you get to like oh, our modern yeah. day. Absolutely. I mean, I, I think that uh, it's been great using DTrace for all these years, but then you find yourself wanting it in these places where you don't necessarily have easy access. So one of the things, it's kind of, is it like two years ago now that, that Ben Necker and I worked on this? Um, uh, or yeah, maybe, maybe more, least, but yeah, so we built more. this USDT crate for Rust so that we could have statically defined probes within the, the programs that we've been building at Oxide because we're, you know, mostly building Rust stuff. And it's been fantastic. Um, and I did, however, and, and Josh Patrick, I don't know if you guys have seen this, I sent this to Brian earlier. In the earliest days of like Rust ideation, Graydon Hoare has this, this bug that says, wouldn't it be great to have DTrace probes built into the language? And of course, that didn't come to be, uh, you know, not, not natively. But we've got this USDT crate and, and um, you know, are, are using DTrace probes in all of the components that we're building. And it's been incredibly useful. It has been, uh, it's been huge for us. Um, and the ability to add new probes to this thing, it is so, man, you and Ben did such a good job, Adam. It is so easy to add probes to this thing. Um, and, I mean, and you've really been using it a ton in like looking at storage performance. Uh, and I don't know, for, for understanding the system, it's, it's been super useful. It's been really useful. And I think that we... I think in, in particular with Rust, because it's the the stack, the, the symbols mm -hmm. are mangled and the deep inlining often, like you don't end up with frames for, like real, like you don't end up with uh, frame yes. pointer frames for, for a lot of the, the source visible frames. So like uh, being able to put the USDT probes in with unmangled names yeah. is, very, is very helpful. That's right. It is very helpful. And I think that that's going to be, I mean, there's a lot of work still to do. And I think a lot of it is around making it, I mean, it is, it is possible. In fact, actually, Adam, we just used this on this really gnarly data corruption problem that we had um, that as it turns out was due to a, a, well, a bug that we had compounded by a disagreement about what correct microprocessor behavior <laughs> is. I think it's the most generous way to phrase it. But the, uh, and really in order to be able to nail that, Use DTrace a lot. It was really fun with with Rain Rain Paharia here at Oxide, and we're using DTrace to debug it together. And I think she was like, "Wow, this is amazing! All the stuff you can do." But we really were using your ability to instrument an arbitrary instruction at Userland, which we've kind of forgotten about it because we so oh, yeah. frequently use USDT. And then when we're not using USDT. We're kind of using fun the, the the function entry and return. It's like no, no. You actually can instrument any instruction in a in a process. You can even instrument things that aren't instructions if you're not careful. <laughs> now, including the ability to instrument drop, drop tables. But we that was actually really clutch for us in that problem because Josh said it's like you do get like really rampant and aggressive inlining. And you know, this is one of these things where it's like Detroit makes these things possible that were that are literally impossible. And then I mean it's like once it's possible, you can make it easier to do, but boy, that 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 delta between impossible and possible is a big one as it turns out. Yeah. Uh, I would I guess another like favorite feature that I feel does not get that was absolutely clutch for us at Joint. I kind of hope it's never clutch for us at Oxide because it's a little it, it, you you know that you're in deep when you need this, is postmortem tracing. 
Adam, I'm not mm. sure if you, how how frequently or if at all you use this. I've definitely or, used it, but I, I it's it's been a minute, probably back to the the Fishworks days, um, or maybe some of the work uh, I was doing on ZFS after that. But um, post morning tracing is pretty wild. It's like this flight data recorder, this customizable flight data recorder that you dump in and then let your your kernel execute until it crashes and then you pluck it out and you can see the the events from that flight data recorder it's very cool yeah so this is using Conco and detroit state and mdb and it allows you to actually so you you use the ring buffer policy to uh to to uh actually just constantly roll over your buffers as opposed to kind of pulling them out to user land and then you can uh instrument a system and so in particular we had this nasty, nasty, nasty data corruption problem at, at Joy. I'm knocking wood right now because I want to show us adequate reverence to the gods. Please do not punish me with another one of these where um, we, I mean, th this was a, a, a pre-existing bug in the operating system where uh, it would effectively steal pages from underneath you. And so uh, the, a, it would incorrectly consolidate pages effectively. Um, OS, OS 1028, as I recall. OS 10.28. Yeah, OS ten twenty eight was our internal. You know, you know when you can retain the ticket numbers for the rest of your life for the firmware revision or the OS revision or whatever it is that caused the misery. But yes, OS ten twenty eight, and this was absolutely brutal. So Adam, this is one of these things where it's like, you know, you're you're panicking because like uh, the in kernel data is is corrupt, and you look at the corrupt data and you're like, this is a customer's Apache log. <sighs> you're like, okay, time to like, <laughs> where did you get that? I'll be right back. I'm gonna throw myself in the traffic. Like I am actually like, and this time I'm not writing anything on my whiteboard. I'm I'm actually just. Gonna, I think it's just for the best that I just uh, push myself onto the ice flow. I need to be done. Um, super scary. And we um, uh, we use that to be able to to. I mean, and it was just kind of happening randomly, effectively, and being able to just bifurcate the search space by instrumenting the kernel. And then leaving this instrumentation running, and then be it is actually great when you have this kind of instrumentation running out there. In in our case, the joint public cloud, when a system would roll on it, it was good news, not bad news. It's like, all right, we're going to get like more data about this, and ultimately, that is what we we absolutely needed that to crack that case. Um, and yeah. it was chilling. Um, and so that that that's one of those features I think, Adam, that is just like not well known and not something you're going to find in any other system. Probably doesn't matter to that many people. Probably doesn't matter that frequently. But when you need it, you absolutely need it. Yeah. No, I totally agree. Uh, I kind of put speculative tracing also in that bucket, by the way. I love Yeah, a, for sure. So this, has, has, anyone, has anyone ever really used that? <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's become a meme for like the last 15 years. But uh, the feature that Brian wrote to so you can record data into a speculative buffer and decide later on whether that was an interesting sequence of events and you want to trace it out or a boring sequence of events and you want to toss it. So when you're looking at some very low probability kind of pathology, it lets you not have to post-mortem or after the fact, diff through tons and tons of data, but rather get the concise answer like right away. And Adam, I'll tell you, I still use speculative tracing for uh, debugging uh, performance outliers, latency outliers. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. where you have like, I want to actually like, I'm going to instrument the beginning of this operation and the end of this operation. And I'm going to instrument some things that I'm very suspicious of in the middle of the operation that may be inducing these P99s. And then if our latency is longer than this, I want to commit that buffer and see if we're hitting this. 
And yeah. it can be very useful to kind of quickly explore one of these hypotheses. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, do you, what are some other, Adam, do you have any others? Uh, well, so, I mean, there's, uh, first I'd say like, I think we've been talking a bunch about, you know, you and me and Mike and some of the others, but you know, there's, uh, it's been ported to, we mentioned Mac OS. I've seen a demo in the back of a dark auditorium on the iPhone. It's on the PlayStation portable. It's on Linux. There's a windows port. I don't know if you've, played with that at all, but um, I got excited about the Windows port and kicked the tires on that. And then um, there are tons of people like like Josh and Patrick who, are, who were uh, on earlier, or Patrick who was on earlier, uh, Josh who was still with us, um, Robert Mustaki, Dave Pacheco, who have built like tons onto Dtrace, extended the capabilities. Uh, Patrick has fixed a bunch of critical issues. Um, so it's, it's taken a whole village. Yeah, it has the uh, Josh in particular. You added the the JSON action, which I thought was really. You, do you want to talk about that a second? Uh, yeah, we had uh, so we had an early uh, structured logging thing, uh, Bunyan, uh, back in the Node era at Joyous, <laughs> and we we uh, we would emit log records that could contain quite a lot of uh, JSON properties, some of them nested. And um, and then we had produced a USDT provider where we would emit all of the log records, even the trace and the debug ones. If, if the probe was enabled, we would emit those uh, log records as probes. And the, one of the parameters to the probe was the object that contained all of the structured properties from the log and the, and the message and stuff. And we wanted to be able to pick out an ag in order to do an aggregation in Dtrace, you have to have the the string or the number or whatever it is like available in in the probe context. So you need to be able to pick it apart in the kernel before it eventually makes its way out to user land for post processing. So I had and added a subroutine like in the D language to do that with like a CSS selector style or like miniature. JSON XPath sort of thing where you could name a particular property in a JSON blob string that we'd pulled out of a probe and it would pick out just that value. Uh, and so we could, we could pick apart a bit like a, you know, two kilobyte JSON object and lift out, you know, the, the eight characters or something that we were interested in. Well, and in particular, it means that you can actually uh, put that in a predicate. Um, uh, right. And yes. And, and aggregate on it and, and, um, I think I also added at the time there was no like string to number routine because we wanted to yes. be able to pick pick out we wanted to be able to take numbers that were really strings and turn them into something that we could like quantize uh, which was was handy as well. I think they both went in together. Yeah, and uh, someone in the chat is asking about the uh, the Oracle port of Linux, which actually is is. Uh, you know, I know it's off-brand here for me to say anything even vaguely possible with Oracle, but this is actually the Oracle port is actually good, Adam. I think yeah, it, it got it got better. I I, I don't remember this, but I I, I <laughs> tested out. I kicked the tires on the first version. I, I I sort of a history of this, but kicked the tires on the first version, and I was tracing a bunch of stuff, and then I couldn't SSH to the box while the tracing was enabled. So, but oh. it has definitely improved over time. But but same thing with you know Apple had some problems early where. You know, Apple uh, like didn't want it, didn't want you to be able to detrace things like iTunes, uh, you know, because of DRM right. stuff. 
So a lot of the ports have had some some you know foibles, but they they've gotten ironed out. I feel like you had a customer early on that did not want their software to be visible <laughs> to Dtrace. Yes, we did. I I did not deal with that well. I, the first, <laughs> I, I dealt with that. I, we, I think everyone after the fact can agree that Brian dealt with that situation poorly. I was surprised. Um, I was surprised. It was not Veritas. It was Reuters, actually. And if you are a Reuters customer, you may be like, I knew it. I knew it. Reuters was not. Reuters does not. Uh, Reuters makes financial services software. Uh, Reuters is a lot of things. Uh, and this is at least back. I'm not sure. I'm sure they've divested themselves of this business, but or actually maybe not. Uh, but yes, Reuters insisted that the we not that we must disable Dtrace for their application, or they would not certify on Solaris. And this was immediately after, by the way, us doing a bake off of Solaris versus Linux, which was actually Spark versus x86. And then to really add insult to injury, as it turns out, it was unoptimized on Spark and optimized on x86. Like we really cannot win this one. We can't win even Spark versus x86. We definitely cannot win this if like this is unoptimized. Uh, anyway, it was bad. But like no, no, we can't recompile it. That's changing the rules. Sorry. We, I'm like, oh god, and then we, of course, we, they, they, we were like, and by the way, this, then we showed them Dtrace, and they were upset about Dtrace, which was <laughs> the first time that that had ever happened. I think, Adam, I don't think that that happened. Certainly, that first I knew before. of. Yeah, no, that was that was early days of Dtrace and early days of folks getting upset. I think there was some upset that I hear about from time to time at Apple uh, about you know it being too uh, transparent, perhaps, um, but. They've kept it in, which I'm I'm delighted and a little bit surprised that it's stuck for as long as it has. I feel like you have to turn on. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, if the disable safety is for you sure. to disable safety. That's right. <laughs> that's the one. Yeah. 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 Right. Which uh, and then the other out of it, we had uh, Detroit's got definitely got some attention from other folks that either wanted to partner with us or and there's this IBM meeting that I feel we should get on the record. <laughs> this uh, legendary IBM meeting that I was not in. Yeah, I mean the the it, it, this was, you know, I think it was like the the IBM Tools Group, um, like Rational is it was that an IBM product? Oh, anyway. Rational Rose. This is like the, yeah. the Rational Rose acquisition. Why? Yeah, and so, so some of these folks come to Building Seventeen, you know, now now Facebook Meta, but then Sun, um, and want to. You, you ever been in these meetings where you're not really sure what the outcome that anyone has in mind was? So anyway, we were, we were there listening, and the the only the most memorable thing about this meeting was a guy from IBM. Uh, you know, they, they they rolled about six or seven deep, but guy from IBM, uh, as um, our colleague Mike was presenting, slowly and obviously falling asleep and snoring, uh, and and Mike and, and, after, and like, me. Snoring. Oh yeah, like loudly snoring, to, and then Mike and me doing everything we could not to make eye contact with each other, knowing that we would come completely unglued if we did. And then a the program manager in charge on the IBM side, you know, interrupting and saying, "Hey, uh, Tim, can you um wake up, John, please?" <laughs> And John waking up, like, oh god, it always falls to me to wake this guy. This guy's always startled when I wake him up. Getting up, oak, he startles, and I swear to God, wakes up and shouts, "Solaris nine! And Mike and I could not get out of that room fast enough, and just had giggle fits for about thirty minutes after that. 
so and unfortunately i was not in this this meeting only exists in my mind in your retelling but it's very vivid i i I, uh, I really feel like i was in the room i just <laughs> i i just love the the the, the solaris nine being oh my uh, uh yeah i don't know what dream he was having what beautiful dream about the completeness of the svr4 vision but well, and I'm a sleep talker too, so I get always worried. Definitely, like, don't let me go. Like, boy, if I, if I drift off in a meeting, just just wheel me <laughs> up the street. Would you mind? Just let that point. Yeah, do us all a favor. Yeah, we we that'll be one of the Detroit at forty. Uh, the Detroit <laughs> at seventy. Well, and so then, and I just want to. I know we've gone super long here, and I want to be mindful of time and your time, especially the uh, any does like things that we got especially right or especially wrong. I don't know that we actually you know, got the same. Yeah. So, I mean, on especially wrong, I don't think especially wrong, but, you know, there there were some CVEs here and there. But I, I do think you, uh, you either die the hero or live long enough to see the CVEs. Um, so I'm grateful uh, for those CVEs, actually. I, those CVEs were extremely helpful for me because they were eye-opening with respect to C and the integer on safety uh, and C. That's right. That's right. Because like uh, Ben, Ben, what, what was his surname? Ben, the the guy that Murphy? found I, Murphy. I, ben I, Murphy. That's right. Yeah, found the eight integer things or whatever at the time. He was he yeah. was uh, he was fun to work with. He was. And I think he came to Detroit.com twenty sixteen, didn't he? I think we had uh, him. I think, actually. I think so. Yeah. I and it, right. it, we, I think I I didn't really appreciate how much of that vulnerability finding those kind of vulnerabilities is a lot more perspiration. It was not like he, he wasn't doing, he was just like banging on the thing over and over and over again in weird ways. That we asked him a question about some aspect of like, it seemed like it would be obvious that he would have understood this fully in order to be able to find the problems that he found. He's like the what now? <laughs> like, like, I don't know. Like, I no, got no, no idea what I, you're talking about. I just found the bugs. I don't, I don't know how it works. It's like, that's amazing. He's some it was amazing. CVE yeah. locating savant. Like, yeah. So there's a bunch of work that we didn't do that I'm grateful of. Like we didn't kind of create a JIT uh, execution virtual yeah. machine for yeah. decode. There's a bunch of stuff that like seemed like obvious next steps that we didn't take um, out of skepticism or laziness or waiting to see if it was an actual problem. Um, I, I'm grateful for a lot of those, but I think mostly USDT turned out to be an extremely happy accident where, you know, Solving Plockstat turned out to be the gateway to let all languages participate in this statically defined tracing. I, I feel like we that was just total happenstance and very fortunate. Also, is enabled oh. probes were a huge breakthrough. Oh yeah, is enabled probes. That this is one where uh, we generated some code to say, well, if the probes enabled, then slap down a one. Otherwise, leave it as a zero. So kind of very hacky, but allowed us to do tons of stuff where otherwise prohibitively expensive operations, uh, you know, just couldn't, we, we wouldn't uh, design the tracing for it, but then allowed it to pull all of that out of line. So that, that was very fortunate as well, agreed, Brian. But how, yeah, how about for you, any, any, any missteps or any, any ones that you feel like we really nailed? Well, so I think we, I mean, is enabled probes, I definitely, you know, I've always told people like, you know that you, back when we were, wanting the patent ideas and i think that like we're kind of past software patents completely. but i always tell people that like if you can't remember where you were when you thought of it or when someone told you about it it's not patentable because it's not it, it was obvious effectively to your doppelganger and is enabled yeah. probes were not that like i know exactly where i was when you and i were talking okay on, and, you know my yeah you know my regret on those is that the name sucks 
And I have never thought of a better name for that thing. And I oh, think that I, means, I feel like that means it doesn't suck. Like, yeah, I, think yeah, I feel like society is the like, It's been 20, like 20 years and you haven't been able to find a better word. I think it's probably Fine. a pretty good word. Fine. Nailed it. Yeah. And so, no, I think his nail probes are amazing. And I, again, I, I think that was a great, I, and I, again, I, Adam, I remember the, the phone conversation in which that one came out. I think it was like, that was, I, I that was, I feel like that was both of us. Is that uh, correct? I, I mean, I don't know. I think my overstating. I'm going to give you. No, no, no. I, I think if I, I I'm going to take credit for USDT, and I remember where I was, which was the People's Republic of China. Um, but uh, I'll, I'll give you uh, at at, uh, uh, at in the 2003 um, Shanghai, Shanghai, the, Shanghai. Like the oh, or whatever. When we were sharing a hotel room, strangely, not yeah. to make it weird. Yeah. No, I mean, sure. Out of our true. own sense of like dutiful thriftiness to our corporate overlords we were sharing a hotel room and yeah. i just remember you you had a but i i got i remember your line when there was like it was just like shanghai 2003 shanghai is just exploding and you know they had they for a period of time had the tallest building in the world and i you had that great line i was like man it looks like they were they had a proposal and they had three different architecture firms have three <laughs> different skyscraper proposals and they're like you know what just build all of them. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's what it felt like at the time. Every direction work. you looked was like construction cranes everywhere, as far as the eye can see. Totally. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The um, no. So I remember the, uh, but I also remember when we were grappling with a really inside baseball Detroit problem. So one of the things that I did that I th that we did that I thought was really interesting that the world does not care about um, is this idea of interface stability on probes. That's right. That's right. And we really thought that was going to be a big deal, in part because at it is Sun, a big deal, goddammit. It it's was a huge deal. Wrong. No, it's at Sun because you know we were running binaries that had been compiled, you know, eighty-five years ago for the Jacobian loom or whatever. It was really important to us to to define interface interface stability. So, uh, and, and you're right that like, and, and we, so we made it so that your programs could uh, articulate their associated stability. You know. Fast uh, FBT Your probes were yeah, lower, yeah. lower stability. Syscall probes were were more stable. That kind of thing. No, but worth, I feel like this is still actually important today. I know that we it don't. Is important. That, like yeah, it's important it's to important. you know eight people or whatever. But like, but it is, uh, it is important. <laughs> Six of whom are here. Well, like something that Two I think of whom are trying to deal with their audio right now. Something I think we need more of, right, is uh, library interfaces into Dtrace for, for to, to build tools like Lockstat. Totally. Uh, like, but but rather than have to like post process quite so much text to fish things back out, right? Like we we could have more typed programmatic access to the the swapped out buffers or whatever. And uh, I, I feel like, and I feel like that that at that point, uh, the the stability stuff would become extremely critical to to like those programs that are that are trying to run against totally uh, well, it, a, a set of probes and providers and stuff. So a couple things on the interface stability. One is so Adam, just like leading up to something we did right that you may actually, I'm, I'm maybe we're even, maybe you're even forgetting about this that we were grappling with how to deal with stability on a probe by probe basis. I do remember this, yeah. And it was just thorny. And it was thorny, it, and there was, were like literally, I mean, this was before PID provider when there were like bajillions of probes, but there there were already like tens of thousands of probes that felt yeah. extremely unwieldy. And your obs your question slash observation was maybe we should force the interface stability to be associated with the provider, not the probe. 
See, I associated that moment with the moment that you and Mike both looked at me and thought, you know what? This kid isn't useless. This kid, this I, kid might have You a, know, I, I sort of asked what it. I thought was I thought was a sort of, I don't know, maybe this is a good question. And you guys just riffed on it. And I I, I think I I barely kept up with where the conversation went from there. But <laughs> right. I think but, I have said something important and valuable, but I'm not coming. <laughs> right. I'm gonna go back to sleep. Solaris night. Right. No, that was a super important observation because then it was like, oh yes, that's how we can go do this. I definitely remember right. that. Like this that's is like, right. and I also remember like we had a couple things like this where it was like, all right, we're gonna do this for now, and then we may we'll, we'll have to go revisit this later. But then we got a bunch of things like that that we never revisited, like the jetting. I mean, we never revisited because we didn't really yeah. have to. So that was really important. And then I also I think it also has to be said that the way we went to the architectural committee, architectural review committee, that's like. <laughs> I think we, we go, we go, and I know we're long here, but we've got to regale with some quick Peace Arc tales. This is this is yeah. a so Peace Arc was the architectural review committee inside a sun, and this is where you would you would kind of sit behind you, you know this kind of council of elders and present the work that that you are doing. And Peace there were valuable things to Peace Arc, but Peace Arc also it was comprised of folks that whose job was Peace Arc, which was a real problem. Mm -hmm. And this is one of the things I, I, don't, I don't know your take us on this, but I think like when you have people whose job whose job whose only job is the review of other software, it's really tough to stay, I think, current and relevant. And it's easy oh. to lose that. Totally. I mean, and, and and then the incentive becomes the only way you add value is by extracting your pound of flesh. Because right. otherwise you're just a red you're just rubber stamping everything. Right. And so we did there was this issue of like how are you all going to deal with with peace arc you've got this like large thing that you've clearly thought a lot about and this is and i think this is really due to mike this was kind of a masterstroke of getting to peace arc like okay what we're going to do is we're going to split this into multiple cases and we are going to have the dtrace case is going to be all of dtrace except for the providers and cuz what we predicted rightly was that Everybody was going to want to really talk about how the system was instrumented and not the actually what we felt was actually in many ways the more important thing from an interface perspective, which is this broader system that's consuming the uh, the actual tracing information. So we split this and we had the all of the the, the providers in a uh, in a separate case. And I mean, Adam, do you remember this? Like this, this strategy worked to perfection because what we knew is like, ultimately you want to run out the shot clock with PSARC. That's ultimately what you're trying to do. And because ultimately if you run out the shot clock, they're going to approve you. So we get to this, like we, and do you remember bringing the Detroit documentation into PSARC? Like, <laughs> no, I don't. Oh God, it was so great. It was, it was like, I feel it's like one of these moments from like, like, Aaron Brockovich or whatever. <laughs> like, you, know, you know what I mean? We're like, they're kind of coming in with like this stack of depositions or whatever. So we're brought, like, here's our piece, our case. Drop this box filled with manuals on the, that we'd written on the table. We're dispensing these manuals that have all, where we've documented this entire facility that we have done all without piece arc pre-approval. Um, and sure enough, in the discussions, all they want to talk about are the providers. And what we would do just brilliantly, I remember like letting people kind of pontificate for a while and letting them expand on this and be like, okay, well, that's very interesting, but that's actually not in this case. That's in the next case. <laughs> and I now see that you've used three minutes and 13 seconds on that. 
next question. And they like they kept doing this. And of course, it was like ultimately there was too much for them to meaningfully understand. And none of them were actually using each other themselves. They didn't really appreciate it. And then we we get to and they approve it, which is just and also we also were encouraging them when they wanted to waste time on. And you remember like they wanted to talk about the definition of standard C? Do you remember this? <laughs> yes, I do. Right. And in particular, you mean like the the header file definition of standard yeah. C. Because like we were sort of like in header files in some cases. So they, I mean, uh, the other brilliant move that Mike did on this case and many others was to ask a question whose answer we did not give a shit about. <laughs> yes. So it gave them an yeah. opportunity to bike shed, you know, ad nauseum, and then give us an answer that either was obvious on its face and we knew how it was going to go, or it's like, fine, don't, don't care. You, you tell me. You would think that they would see through this, but no. As it turns out, this is just such an easy kind of con about like if you take someone who's like has got some predilection of bike shedding and you put a bike sheddable question in front of them, like it's they're basically going to take the bait, and they basically did. And they spent the entire time. And I remember thinking like they do not understand what we built at all. And it's like <laughs> let let them cook, like let them. They're going because as soon as like they start feuding among themselves, like this is what we need. We th this is the way you go like from taking a minute off the shot clock to taking like you know thirty five minutes off the shot clock is by having these these uh, them go at it. So they they pass the Detroit case without so much as a like sentence of discussion on this like massive stuff, and in particular. We had made interface stability, kind of PSARC interface stability, we had kind of elevated in this case in a way that we thought was like going to be really controversial, but they, no one had paid any attention to it. So then we get to the first provider case, and we get the first provider case, and now they've kind of exhausted themselves talking about the way the system is instrumented when they weren't supposed to be talking about it. And in particular, and remember, all those provider cases would have the matrix of interface stability for the provider. Right. And they're like, what the hell is this? Like that is the interface stability of the provider. It's like, well, okay, we, we we're not. You can't like programmatically define interface stability. It's like actually, if you go back to the case that you, <laughs> you already have, you already have, and that was definitely, and, and it was stable, so you can't you can't take it back. <laughs> it was stable, so you can't take it back. It really was. It was just like it did feel like we we had defeated PSARC. and we the had the we had dominoes fell like a house of cards. Exactly. It, Felt like a kind of a Kaiser's to say moment. Anyway, it was that, that was. Uh, I uh, sorry, Adam. I just I, I had to. Oh, uh, I, I, great. I, I, I think that the interface stability per per, per provider was great. I think interface stability is as Josh kind of alluding to one of these things that's really important that people don't understand. Anonymous tracing has been huge. I think postmortem tracing has been speculative tracing. I mean, and I, and I just I love the fact that this is still something that we're you know we're we're still using um and it's still we're still using it still evolving still bringing in new folks still uh lighting up parts of the system that were previously unseen and uh boy how lucky are we to have to be, to been able to participate in something that that has that kind of staying power um is is really terrific really i mean i think when when you when we were working on it before we had shipped to any customers I really thought this was going to be something that really was relevant only within those four walls that, you know, we were going to use in the kernel group, maybe some folks at Sun were going to use it, but, and, and that was going to be worth it. Like it, that was going to be an unquestionable value, but the fact that the customers, you know, got into it, that it's been ported, uh, didn't see it coming. And, and as you say, incredibly grateful that all those things happened.
and grateful to uh, honestly, I, I also have to say grateful to Sun um, and honestly Jonathan Schwartz in particular for open sourcing it. I think it, yeah. we, if it had gone down with the ship, um, we wouldn't be using it today. That's what it boils down to. So absolutely uh, grateful for that, um, and I just I, I grateful that we're here. Detroit's at twenty, man. I, it, it's um, who would have thunk still, it? Yeah, who would have thunk it? And still using it, still in daily use. So yeah. Josh, thank you for joining us. Um, and You're most welcome for uh, th- that. Hungry Jacks was not just a fever dream that it actually <laughs> happened. Um, yeah, yeah. And uh, thank you all for, I, I, again, really appreciate everyone and, and the community and, and look forward to an awesome detroit.com for 2024. It's going to be great. All right, Adam, thank you very much. I'm glad we did this. Uh, yeah. And I thank you all for joining us and we will, uh, we'll see you next time. As, as Janet says in the chat, here's, here's to 20 more. Thanks everybody. Thanks.